Do you have any other browser windows open? I don't. If we, if we hear feedback, okay. Hey, everyone. Merry Christmas. It's uh, here. Let me let me get ready for my close up there. All right. Uh, it's Christmas Eve special 2020. And I want to thank everyone who is joining us live. And, um, uh, you know, it, what's interesting, Mike, is this morning um, I woke up to some drama. You want to hear what uh, happened this morning? Yeah, fill me in. So, so I woke up around my normal time around 7 a.m. and I realized that I had, I had left my morning empty because I wanted to be relaxed and comfortable for today's special. And so I willed myself back to sleep and I slept until nine. And I haven't done that in a long time. But when I woke up at nine, my alarm clock was just blank. And the only reason I knew it was nine o'clock was because my cell phone was handy and I, the power had gone out. Oh no. And so I was like, oh my God, what's going on? And there's, it was a beautiful sunny day here. There's snow on the ground, but it's sunny. And usually power outages go hand in hand with bad weather. And um, we don't have any bad weather. But anyway, so I went onto the power company's website through my phone. And um, they were reporting an outage with a couple thousand homes with an estimated repair time by noon, which, which is pretty fast. And so I was worried. So I, I went down to grab a bite to eat at a local McDonald's restaurant. And by the time I got back, the power was still not on. And around, so it's, it's 1 p.m. here when I'm starting this broadcast. Sure. So at 12 p.m., I decided I'm going to go for a quick walk around the neighborhood because my backup plan was to use my little, I've got this wireless MiFi device, they call it, okay. where you can go over cellular. But two and a half hours of broadband video streaming over that little thing would probably cost me like 100 bucks in data. And um, by the time I got back from my walk, lights were on everything. So, but so, now, did you ever figure out what the cause was? Well, ever since this spring, occasionally we've been hearing these bangs in the neighborhood, and it's the it's the power transformers. The neighborhood all kind of went up over a couple year period, like forty years sure. ago. Sure. And and now I think this these machines are reaching the end of their life, and of course they don't replace them preemptively or anything. They just wait for them to pop, and then they go sure. out and fix it. So I, I think it was probably as simple as one of those kinds of one of those things just failed. But uh, because there's no bad weather, of course, the repairmen, wherever they are, you know, ready to go. So we didn't have to wait. That's that's the killer is when you have a bad storm and you have to wait for two days for your power to get fixed. So if we lose you, um, I should just what entertain with songs and uh... no. Well, here's the thing is you can entertain people with stories, but don't break out into song because I haven't sign up for any musical licensing. <laughs> and if you, if you rip off someone else's musical licensing rights on YouTube, those people will, will get to put ads on the, on the video and they'll to get the money. Nice. Nice. David, uh, <laughs> it's a, it, it, what are you going to spend your time talking about today? I mean, 2020 is offered so little in terms of, um, topics for conversation, especially in the buy and sell business space. It's been a pretty boring year, hasn't it? Well, I wanted yeah. to talk about, I wanted to talk about you because um, at a certain point in this past year, you, you actually had reached out and talked with me saying that you were going to pivot your focus. You want to tell everyone a little bit of, first of all, Exit Oasis, a website dedicated to information about people who want to start preparing to exit their business. 
Absolutely. Right. right. Yeah. You've been doing this now for like four years, maybe uh, three, four years now started with, uh, you know, as, as, as businesses always do started with a particular plan in mind. Um, I know I've never talked to anybody in this space that disputes the need, uh, the, the gap between what we as small business owners understand about what it takes to create a business you can sell. Um, we all know that we have huge gaps. And I, I, I say we because, I mean, you know my story, but I, I did that. I, I built a business, thought I was, you know, all set to live on easy street and then discovered that the business I built wasn't sellable, um, even though I had 50 employees and uh, growing revenue and dot, dot, dot. Um, so started the website designed around um, that topic space uh, with intention around curriculum build and some of those sorts of things, and then started educating myself a little bit more about the market. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, as you mentioned earlier this year, um, it, in fact, it was pre-COVID that I had kind of come to the conclusion that, that a rather substantial pivot needed to change. And then the world around me started to pivot and change. And so I, I, I described it this way. I felt like my business had been kidnapped by Schrodinger's cat, right? It, my, the, my business was alive and dead at the same time, um, which put me in great company. I mean, the, the, mm -hmm. the small businesses that I coach to, to, a, to an individual went from exit preparedness mode to hardcore, are we going to make it mode? Yeah. And then uh, uh, depending on industry, they've evolved past that. I, I mean, I suspect you've seen that all year long with, with folks you work with. I, I've, I've seen it in a lot of different ways because some people actually have had their sales and go up, you know, with the result of what has happened this past year. Other people, you know, have uh, some people are closed. They're gone. Their business is over. Yeah. Um, however, you know, you, you go past an empty business that, you know, a restaurant or something and all the plumbing and ventilations in there and some of the equipment's been left behind. And you just know that if things restabilize, somebody else is going to take that on and they're right. going to open a business there. But unfortunately, whoever was in there before has probably had a devastating impact personally of having to, having to wrap up and close that business. And we're seeing this all over the place. Um, you know, clearly there are winners and losers. It's it's interesting because when you come out of something like this, what I'm expecting is that the businesses that survive are going to be nice and strong. They're going to have trimmed the fat they needed to trim in order to, to make it. Some of their competitors will be gone, so maybe their revenues will actually <clears throat> increase. And then, you know, that old capital, like, for example, the restaurant with the plumbing and the ventilation in place, someone's going to get to benefit from that without having invested to create it. And so it's, it's, it's almost like it's, everyone's going to start off from a better footing, maybe with less debts, fewer debts, less leverage. I don't know. It'll, it'll remain to be seen. You, um, you had decided to go out and start looking for a business to buy, didn't you? I have. I've been, uh, you know, I've kind of had my head down, but my eyes open and uh, I've been looking at different businesses. I've been talking with buyers and sellers, which of course I've, I've done for the, I, yeah, I'm one of those guys that I think uh, is similar to a lot of other people. I, I don't think I ever stop looking, right? Um, you, you, you go buy a, 
a, a for sale sign and you're like, oh, what's going on over there? It's just yeah. the nature of, uh, of this space for me. And uh, I, I've, I've, I've been intrigued because, you know, in theory, this is the kind of environment that creates opportunity, right? To, to your illusion of the uh, empty, you know, the empty space with all the, all the guts in it. Um, it's, a, it's a really weird time, though, to evaluate opportunity, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I can simultaneously have the argument in my head, now is a great time to start or, or buy a restaurant. Now is an incredibly bad time to start or buy a restaurant, right? What's the answer? I, who knows? Right. I, I, who knows? Well, well, it's it's uh, you know, what's interesting is is just the 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 way that <clears throat> there was a, a woman I saw being interviewed on a podcast and she runs a food bank operation in Ontario. And believe it or not, they actually had an operations plan for a pandemic that had been written back in the 90s. And so when the pandemic hit, they, they got this book out and they're like, what does it say inside? And it was basically uh, an HR system for replacing the people who were ill, who were going to be staying at home. <clears throat> it was never foreseen that there'd be some kind of lockdown where people weren't allowed to move about sure. and, and that, you know, storefronts couldn't be operating and things like that. So they had to adapt. And I think one of the interesting things that I've seen this year is just how people have adapted. So, <clears throat> and how the rules are different by jurisdiction. So, this year, I wasn't able to travel in the summer and do the vacations I wanted to. So I spent the money on doing some home fix-ups, which a lot of people did. Yeah. And I had I hired a fellow to build a deck on the back of my house. And I had this idea that I was going to get a patio heater, one of those propane patio heaters, so I could enjoy the deck you know, deep into the fall. Um, but of course, with so many jurisdictions allowing restaurant seating outdoors but not indoors, try to buy a patio heater this year. Sure. That, I, mean, I mean, anyone who was in the restaurant business where they had to serve people outside, they were out there buying those things up like crazy. Yeah, and it, 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 it raises an interesting question for me. I mean, my, my sense, everything that I read um, is that the, uh, the pain of what we've all experienced from a business perspective is disproportionately impacting small business, right? Because what's the likelihood that uh, how many small businesses are in the patio heater space? Uh, I, I can name some really large ones, large yeah. businesses that are in that space. But um, I, I sit back at times and I try to picture what's the net impact on, on small business um, startups, um, you know, at the same time that I hear people talking about starting a business or, hey, here's my new shingle. We both know a lot of that is a function of, uh, gee, I got laid off and I can't find a job. Uh, here's my new business. Uh, and do, does that last pass an opportunity to take another position? I don't know. Well, the, the, the two, I mean, the things that I had talked about back when the lockdowns first occurred in March um, that have really, I've really seen them play out are the people who are thinking about exiting that don't need to exit, they're, they're totally out of the market. They're just not even trying yeah. to make their business look appealing. Maybe they're struggling to survive. Maybe they're not. Maybe they're quite comfortable, but they just realize this is not the time to be to be trying to play that game. And so if, if they have time, they don't need to retire this year or something like that, then they, they've withdrawn from the market. Um, and the, you know, the, other thing that um, that I'm seeing really play out is that you know people are to your point 
they're out there making these low ball offers on businesses because they're thinking that the conditions of the pandemic should create an opportunity for them to be able to buy something really cheap. Right. And the sellers that are in the market are just not having it. Right. I'm seeing, I'm seeing creative deals, but every seller out there wants the opportunity to try to get a price if things rebound and they're not happy about it, but a lot of them are accepting some kind of terms and conditions which relate to, hey, if 2022 is as good as 2019, then this is how the deal shares more of that with me. Sure. Sure. Yeah. That, well, that was one of the questions I, I wanted to ask you. I mean, do you think that anything has fundamentally changed from a buyer-seller perspective or is it still as it always has been an individual decision made between a buyer and a seller? I mean, is there, are you seeing overall trends when you talk to folks? Um, it, it, that's a good question because what happened is I think the market kind of seized up for a while you know, when everyone was in that initial panic mode and they didn't know what was going to be happening. It, early summer is when people started to, un, you know, thaw out and, yeah. and be willing to do stuff. And a lot of it was related to bankers, you know, the, particularly in the States because the banks were, uh, you know, a part of the relief model, you know, doing those PPP loans, for example. Right. So the bankers were busy doing that stuff instead of the normal course of business. And I think a lot of them, were probably happy to not be trying to do their regular deal flow during that time because they just didn't know what was going on, right? right? And, you know, I know that the lending is happening now. Deals are getting done. I've had um, one person in the Business Buyer Adventure Group coaching program who was supposed to have done a deal last winter that got caught up in all of the delays and ramifications of the, of the lockdowns. And it finally just got done last month. And now the challenge that fellow faces is that the deal was supposed to have done, been done just before the start of the business's busy season. Now it's being done at the end of the busy season and going into the slow season. Sure. But he's got a good relationship with the seller. And so there might be some wiggling around that has to happen. Maybe, maybe you know, delaying the start of a seller note for a little bit, a couple months or something like that. But they're going to work together on that. And they have a good relationship because they've been both trying to get this deal done for almost a year. And, and that seller knows that he's the right buyer and he knows it's the right business. It's, it's just turbulence. It's, it's like a river rafting, you know, you got to get through it. Yeah, no, that really resonates for me because again, we, we see everything on the headlines. We, we, we zero in on all of that, but it still fundamentally comes down to a conversation with someone who isn't sure they're ready to sell or is sure they're ready to sell. And, um, the, the technical aspects are going to be interesting. I, I wonder, for example, what are bankers going to do with 2020? If I, if I go to buy a business a year or two from now and we're doing a three-year average of seller's discretionary earnings, what are they going to do with 2020? Is it just a non-year, good or bad? No, I, I think what's going to happen is it's going to depend whether the trend was up, down, or if it is, is, appears to be aberrant. So if 18, 19, 21, and 22 are all kind of looking the same, I think they would just remove whatever 20 was. And if there was an uptrend, you know, maybe and, and 20 was down, they might remove it. And if it was up, they might remove it. If, if the trend on those other years is, is clearly um, showing a story that 2020 does not support. But if, you know, 2020 is a big uptick, and then 21 and 22 kind of build on that or anything like that, then I think they'll just include it. Right. It it's I think it's going to depend on what 
now I think that in 2021, 2022, it's going to be a much bigger question. What do we do with 20 than it will be by the time we get to 2023, obviously. Yep. Yep. I, I, you know, whenever I've been applying for a mortgage, um, I've always either been self-employed or in some kind of commissioned sales role. And, you know, so the, the bank always wanted to look at my prior two years of earnings. And if my earnings went up, you know, in the, in the last year versus the year two years ago, they would average them. And if my earnings went down in the, in the most recent year, they would just ignore the first year and use the second year. Sure. Right. Because they were always going to err on the side of conservatism, you know, yeah. for, for making that decision to see what kind of cash flow I had available. And, and I wouldn't expect bankers to do anything other than be conservative and careful. That's, you know, the, the way that they're supposed to operate their business. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I agree with you that uh, that 2020 question is going to be um, most fuzzy this next year, right? Because um, I, I think of some of the businesses that, you know, that I have a, a good view behind the curtain of and um, so, so in, in some cases, so dependent. I work with a, a, an ice cream maker and retailer and uh, you know, the retail shop was shut down. Their catering just shut down, right? It, it, um, no option to move forward. That internet sales picked up dramatically. Didn't mm -hmm. cover the, you know, didn't cover the gap. So how do you look at that year? You go, well, I understand completely why this happened. Yeah. However, what what does that translate into? That's a... Um, now, lately, I saw you post something on LinkedIn where where someone, you know, was an article. What what do they want for their business? Seven million, of course, because there are seven shareholders. And every once in a while, I, I know you're out looking at businesses to acquire, and I wonder if some of those articles that you post are related to some of the things that you're running into <laughs> in the market. Are, are you continuing to see people that just have these outlandish outlandish expectations of what what they expect you to pay for their business? I get that. I get that question sometimes. I, I, everything I post uh, could uh, could have. You know, when you go to watch a, to see a movie and it says based on a real story mm -hmm. versus this is a real story. Well, I'm based on a real story. I I, I did a post uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, talking about a 30x multiple. Um, true story. Uh, I reached out on a on a listing that I saw. Not, well, I, I listing. Somebody put it on uh, on Facebook for sale, and uh, ended up having to sort through two or th two different owners. First, the, the personal message, then a text, then finally a phone call, um, and all to get to a place where the price comes through at at thirty times earnings. And uh, I. I I mean, what do you do with that, right? So I, I reached back out to him. I said, "What am I missing? You know what? Well, you know, what some might say that that's quite a that's quite a good value. I think uh, Tesla is up to a thousand times. That's right. That, <laughs> well, given the type of business it was, I mean, we're 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 generously looking at three to five, right? Yeah. Generously looking. And so I said, "What what what am I missing?" And um, she came back and she told me that that was the um, that's what the owners thought the intrinsic value of the business was. So of course, then I turned that into the mystical intrinsic value method, and now I've been offering that service through uh, Exit Oasis because it's 
Why not, right? I mean, if, if that's what we're going for as as sellers, if that's what we're going for as owners, well, why not? Why can't I make a little money off that? You you want three million dollars for your business? Boom, that's what it's worth. That's that's the value I can give you. Um, yeah, they uh, again back to what we started out talking about at the beginning. The gap is huge, right? In hmm. fact, that post that you 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 talked about, it, I, I threw it out there as a contest. What are the best reasons? that you've heard for an exorbitant uh an exorbitant value i know you 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 contributed one right that others say well um my ex-wife wants this much my dad right right on down the line it's it's it really is incredible and, and here's the thing that i find the most incredible is that a business owner who is the operator of the business the manager every day every day they're thinking about hey chris yeah 30 times earnings i know um Every day, the owner of uh, of that business is out there talking with their customers, understanding what their customers want, trying to meet their customers' needs, being a good business owner. Okay, and when it turn comes time for them to sell their business, for whatever reason, they become entirely self motivated, center self centered, focused only on their own, on themselves and their own needs. They lose all capacity for empathy with the person on the other side of the table which in stark contrast to their day-to-day business where they probably spend a lot of time thinking about what the customer might think about their offering or their price or their service. But for some reason, when it comes time to selling the business, they don't see the business as a product. And when I had my business brokerage office open, um, that was one of the messages I tried to get across to them is I would literally say things like, your business, I have to package it up. It's like putting it in a box, except that it's going to be called, you know, the buyer business profile. It's a yep. document that tells a story. But I said, I want you to imagine this is like putting your business in a box because it's going to go on the shelf of my business for sale store. And this now becomes my inventory. Right. And and so, it, you know, and I and I, I really came across this way of thinking about it when I was dealing with a coffee shop owner who insisted on a very high price for her business and the earnings didn't justify it at all. And I, I said to her, I said, if this is the price that you want for your business, then you're going to have to implement one change. And she was like, great, what's the change? I said, you just have to implement a policy that said nobody's allowed to buy one cup of coffee. They all have to buy two. And this will double our revenues. And she said, but people who come here don't want to buy two cups of coffee. They want to buy one. Yeah. And I said, I said, well, that doesn't matter. Right. We we want you to be able to sell your business for this amount you're saying, and this is the way to do it. You have to double your revenue. So you change the policy. And immediately she understood that, of course, she can't do that to her customers. Right. Yep. And so my point of view kind of translated a little bit over to her where, you know, no none of my customers are going to pick that item off the shelf if it's crazy overpriced. And we've all walked in somewhere where we've seen something interesting that catches our eye. And we see the price. And we're like, eh, I don't think I'm going to buy that. Right. You know, and that's exactly how it is. It is. And it goes to uh, it goes to the problem that we have that we don't engage this topic until way too late in the process. Because yeah. I didn't suddenly get way smarter after I sold my business. Oh, now I understand how this works. I had a I had based my idea of what business was worth on things I had read, on things I had heard from people. I wasn't making this up. This was—it's so easy to look at that owner, that thirty X owner, and go, "Oh, you're you know so silly, ridiculous." And I get that because it is. 
but I was there. I wasn't 30X there, but I, I was at a place where I had an unrealistic expectation of selling the business, what it was worth. And that's, again, back to what the whole point of Exit Oasis was in the first place. Where do, how do you get there? I mean, it, in a perfect world, well, maybe it's an imperfect world, right? We'd force owners, startup operators, people thinking about buying a business to get a, a, get a glimpse of this before they get there. Now, now, interesting for somebody who buys a business, right? They're kind of forced into that perspective. Mm -hmm. um, but they lose it then sometimes too, right? We, we, we go to buy a business. This is a fair value. This is how I can pay for it. And then seven years later, when we go to sell that business, we've somehow lost that buyer's perspective. Um, I don't know why that happens. Um, it's, it's, I, I, just, I think it's self-interest. You know, I, I have, um, I have a client who, um, has, he built up a business and sold it in the online space. And then he bought an underperforming online business and he built it up and now he's getting ready to sell again. And he had spoken with me six months ago about what he should be asking for the business. And I had said to him, like, realistically, you're like, you know, 150 ish kind of thing. And he, he wanted 225 and I'm like, here's why you're not going to get 225. And here's why you shouldn't go out there looking for 225 because, you know, there's a certain number of people in this category he's in. I'm like, there's a certain number of people that may want to buy this. It's going to make a lot of sense to them. They're the most likely buyers. And if you come in with too great an expectation, they're just going to think that you're crazy. They're not going to want to do business with you. And so he tempered it back. He went out in the market with like a 160 price. Spoke with two people that are in the industry. They're direct competitors. One of them said that he would do it for 150. The other said for 130. Okay. Now, the person who's offering them 150 then came back and said, but I can't get the money. I need you to work with me on terms, which is also something that's perfectly ex expected in that yep. space, especially, right? And so the buyer then offered him several different combinations of terms, like a half now, half later, or a monthly. And the monthly payment plan, the guy was actually willing to increase it to above 160, above the original asking price. And my client is like, so, you know, what I'd like to do is bid the two of them against each other. And I said, you know what? Number one, people forget just how hard it is to sell a business. And you've got two people who've said they're willing to pay for your business. And I think what that does is it makes you feel like the bell of the ball. You feel like you've got all of these options that you have the in-demand, uh, you know, the in-demand commodity, et cetera. And the reality is, is that any number of things, there's like a hundred different things that could happen to each of these guys that could cause them both to withdraw their offers and you don't right. have a deal. And so I said, like the guy you're talking to the most, like work out a deal, even if you end up getting a little bit less than you wanted, because a lot of these sellers and he exited successfully before. So now he's probably got in the idea that this is a normal course of business kind of thing. Whereas people who are in this space know that 80% of things that go up for sale never sell. Right. Right. And then that's the real reality. And so sometimes you have to be a little more um, humble and walk softly and, and get the deal and, and wait and smile until after you, the check clears. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it, it, that, those are some of the more painful conversations, right? You, uh, uh, you talk to an owner who's been listed 
for two years and they've had the thing out there at a 1.5 million valuation when it's worth 800,000 and mm -hmm. they finally come to terms with it being worth 800,000 and then they remember that they had the first two or three buyer prospects that they had 18 months ago were in that space and they were so disgusted by their offers they couldn't right they walked away from fair solid deals yeah. And they had to get educated by the market. And that is an incredibly expensive education. Well, you know, this, I think it may have even have been a comment I made on one of your LinkedIn posts where I said, you know, we people in this industry are constantly consternated by these sellers who wait too long or don't do things in their business to make it more sellable, even though there's, you know, a vast amount of information available for anyone that wants to use Google, right? Just yeah. you can find all kinds of information. Um, and it's, it's simply that, you know, I think it's about 90% of business owners end up owning businesses, not because they are entrepreneurial capitalists who identify a need in the market, but rather because they're people who need an income, they can't get a job, or they can't keep a job, or no one will hire them, or they have an attitude problem, they can't take orders from someone or what have you, they end up in their own thing. And so th they don't look at it as an asset that they're trying to polish up to maximize value for the day they exit. They see it as the vehicle that provides for them and their family, which is what it is. Um, and it's only when something happens that causes a hiccup in that day-to-day -day normalcy plan, that normal plan, that they go looking for someone to help them. And, and all of a sudden, that now they need to, to be able to do something, right? Oh, I don't need to learn about this now, David, because I'm not ready to sell. I don't mm -hmm. need to engage this topic until I'm ready to sell. Thanks for your call. That's... Uh, that's how we think about this. We think this is something that happens later. And uh, again, you know this better than I do, three to five years prep is not unreasonable to get a business to a place where it's gonna not only maximize value, and I, I don't love that term because it, it feeds into that perception that we as owners have that I have value to begin with. Well, mm -hmm. then I can maximize value or I could just sell for this, this regular value. Well, most businesses are unsellable, right? And why do they get listed and not sell? Why, why do um, business brokers turn down most owners who come to them to talk? Because they're unsellable businesses. We wait and then we fail. That is the formula that most of us as small business owners use to engage selling our business. We wait and then we fail. Well, and, and the other thing too is that even when businesses are cash flowing, profitable businesses that you, you can see someone's going to want to buy this. Um, I did uh, a, a, a did valuation for a business. I just finished it up last week. And this business has $5 million of revenue. And they have earnings every year. They're consistently profitable. But they they have a lot of operating capital. They're, they have an inventory requirement for non-fungible inventory, which cannot be financed. They have a little bit of leverage in their business from some other suppliers, some accounts payable and things like this. And so they have, you know, well in excess, almost $2 million of money tied up in this business in order to support that revenue. And sure. when you do the valuation and you look at the kind of rate of returns people demand in that industry, the value of the cash flow barely comes up to the same number as the operating capital, which means it's a business with no goodwill. Right. Basically, you, you put in this money, the money flows, and it creates a cash flow, which simply justifies the fact that you put the money in. 
there's there's no real excess earnings over and above what um, you would need in order to justify even coming and playing that game. Right. And so, and this is tough because again, it's a multi-decade business. It's been around for a long time. And when people start to talk about, you know, the history of the business and the reputation of the business and how it's a well-known quantity within their sector, in their, in their market and all this kind of thing, people are expecting that those types of story points are just going to naturally make something that is seen as being very valuable. And it, when you get down to brass tacks and do the numbers and you have to explain to them how, you know, a sale of a successful going concern in their case might yield almost what a successful liquidation could. Right. It's, it's a tough conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And conversation comes to mind uh, around that. The amount of time he's put into it, the work he's done, what he's built, incredibly impressive, right? It, it's a mm -hmm. neat story. The problem is, is the, the cash machine is not kicking out what it needs. And again, it's so pragmatic, right? If I'm a buyer, I have to pay my mortgage and buy food and I've got to pay off the debt on the loan. If the cash flow of your business doesn't help me uh, or allow me to do those things, can you still sell your business? Of course, but you've eliminated 98% of the marketplace. Mm -hmm. Right, you've you've already you've shrunk so far that normal buyer that you or me who's coming to the table. I got some money for a down payment. I'm ready to do this. I don't want to work for the man anymore. Let's. Let, I can't do it. I just, what, it just ignores my my basic concerns. What method have you been employing to go look for a business? Are you doing the window shopping method of looking at what's for sale online, or have you are you going out and actively uh, networking in a certain segment? Well, again, it's a side hustle for me. So it, it's been a lot of the uh, Friday evening uh, with the beverage, looking through the listings. Um, mm -hmm. It's been uh, a, a lot of looking at what I drive by. I'm a, I'm a firm believer that um, I, I like my money to be close to me. So I, I tend to, you know, this is for sale or that's for sale. Or I wonder if he's ever, well, he's getting pretty old. I wonder if he's ever thought about um, so it's been it's been more of a, a an informal effort for me. I'm not uh, I'm not in the uh, uh, here's my here's my plan of attack and let's take over the world um, mode. Uh, and at the same time, I know that uh, that consistency. What one of the things I tell people I, I interact with who are looking to buy is you got to fall in love with the search. You got to fall in love with looking at things because that's the only way you're going to end up finding the one out of a hundred that makes sense for you to dig a little deeper on. Well, and, and the, you know, the, the analogy from what is it, from that Disney story, maybe it's not even a Disney story about uh, the kissing the frogs to find the prince. Sure. sure. You know, like uh, some of the people that are in the, um, in the business buyer adventure uh, buying program, what, what they find is when they target a specific industry, they look at one business after another and they may not meet the criteria but what starts to happen is they start to build this little personal database of businesses they've looked at all within similar industries. And all of a sudden they've got their own benchmarking ability yeah. where they can look at when they see something new, they can say, well, let me compare the cost of goods sold of this new one to the other three I looked at. And they can start right. to see, well, this one's managed better than this one. And this one's doing better than this one. And, it, and so you actually start to build this, um, uh, 
intellectual capital, IP capital in your business search. You yeah. know, if, if you're kind of your business is to search, you're actually becoming better at it. And one of the guests who's actually coming on at the end of the, of the program today, he's got it down very tightly where there's just a few pieces of data he wants to look at when he's approached by someone who wants to look at exiting where he can just, he can determine quite quickly if it's even a business he wants to have a conversation about or not. Right. Yeah, no, that's so true. And, and it's so basic, right? The more I do something, the better I get at it. And so uh, if I look at several businesses, then I can start, I, I, I know people like that. I, I can remember really early in my career, I had an internship and uh, I had a, uh, one of the guys at the office there, long story short, he was looking at a, a set of financials for the first time. And within about 35 seconds, he said, well, we don't want to do this. Why don't we want to do this? He said, this business is going to be out of business within three months. And of course, and I get the financials back and I got to read through every, he had done it enough that he got a sense for how things worked. He, he, he keyed in on a couple, that's what we get when we look at businesses. They can be dramatically different. Oh, I don't have financials. Ooh, right. I mean, it, it, you start to, you start to work that muscle. And, and what we forget is that we want to practice and build those muscles on things that aren't that important. So again, when you talk about somebody selling a business, don't go through that process for the first time and learn about it when you're trying to get your deal done. Cause that's when the consequence of getting it wrong are catastrophic uh, compared to, Hey, maybe I'm going to learn about this a little bit at a time. Maybe I'm going to take one, one lunch break a week and, and see what, uh, what David C. Barnett's put up on YouTube, by the way, congratulations on the su subscriber count that, uh, oh. I, I remember when you were at, I'm almost to 10,000. And then I looked, uh, I don't know, a couple of months later and what 14, 15,000. Yeah. Well, you mean, you talk about the effects of the, of the lockdown and the pandemic is back in, March, April, May, a lot of people were stuck at home and, and more people were spending time online. And, and so the, you know, the subscriber count of the channel grew quite a bit. It's, it's pulled back now. I'm, I'm, it's now growing at a monthly rate that's similar to what it was before the lockdown. Interesting. But for a few months, the rate of growth increased. And I, and I think it was because people were, you know, looking for something to do, um, you know, instead of just Friday nights, looking online for business information with the beverage people, you know, we're doing it six or seven nights a week. Yeah, fair. <laughs> no, that makes a lot of sense. No, yeah. it, uh, well, good for them because uh, again, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of the content. I think you're doing, doing great work and um, just the drip, drip, drip of somebody consuming that information to, to the point you were making, we get better at that stuff. And, and now it's not, I've got one shot to get this right. Now it's uh, I'm, I'm evolving my thinking about what it what a successful business to sell looks like and what uh, what it looks like to buy a business. Yeah, and and I'll remind everyone who's watching live. You know, feel free to put some comments in the in the comment side there. I know Chris, I've seen a couple there from you. Um, if anyone has any, anyone has any questions for Mike, Mike, you're in uh, you're in Minnesota. Uh, well, I'm in Western Wisconsin. We're oh, sorry, a Western Wisconsin community of the Twin Cities here. So, okay, because because I yeah I I knew that you were close to Minneapolis. So, but you're actually on the Wisconsin side. 
That's right. Yep. Yeah. Yes, and we to your point about the losing power, we we got our first blizzard last night. So I had the uh, the joy of snow blowing this morning in uh, sub zero temperatures. Well, you know, when I went out today for my walk, when the power was out, um, everyone had their generators going because if there's if there's one thing you know when you live here is that you can be guaranteed we're going to lose power four to six times a year because we always do. And there's a 50-50 chance one of those times it will be for about two days because we all, all, every second year there's a power outage that lasts for two days. So people are very resilient. People have all kinds of things that they do. Uh, people have inverters. They hook up to their car batteries so they can run their fridge. People have generators. Some people even have the fancy, you know, automatic switch on natural gas powered ones that are hooked right to the line. So then, you know, can, you know, in the zombie sure. apocalypse, they're still, they'll still be watching, you know, <laughs> DVDs at least, I guess, if once all the television stations collapse. But, um, you know, I think a lot of people excitedly get out there and get all their toys running so that they as a little test run for for later on when the when it is really bad weather right absolutely well that's the season we're in so yeah it's uh i don't know it, it's been such an intriguing year from a uh from an opportunity perspective from a cost perspective um we can only hope 2021 i mean it's going to be different but maybe different for different reasons if we're lucky i just got an email here from Henry. Let me. Um, oh. David, while you're doing that, I'm going to uh, I'm going to talk a little further about that 30x um, opportunity that I that I had. I. Uh, um, when I when I did the follow up with them and did the what am I missing, uh, she got back to me and she said, "Well, you know, here's what we were thinking. You know, why? Why? What were you thinking?" Of course, then I went into uh, educator mode, and uh, um, it was uh, you know here here's a site here's a site in that industry here's the value that they that they expect for your type of business um, again three to five times x. Um, but I never heard back from her, and I, I can only assume that it was because the family had determined what each one of them needed to have to exit. So, and and I see Chris there talking about enjoying seventy degrees in Texas, and that's just mean. <laughs> well, uh, maybe that's the reason Elon Musk is moving to Texas. Uh, from California, I, I I don't know. I don't know the trade-off there is. Uh, um, yeah, there's benefits and drawbacks. So how about you? Are you, uh, uh, it, what's, what's been, what's been new on, on your offering the, uh, uh, business buyer advantage. I actually just referred someone over there last week. So, um, you seeing a lot of interest there. I am actually. And oh, look, there's Henry. Hey, Henry, how you doing? Sorry. I, I think, I think, uh, you had, I forgot to put the StreamYard link in your invitation. Right. I had a zoom link and then I'm confused about the time I'm going crazy here. <laughs> is this the, is this when you wanted me here? Cause then I got another invite for later. I'm so confused. Thank you for joining us. It's great to see you. Good to see you guys. <laughs> Mike, just to answer your question. Hey Mike. Uh, Hello, the, Henry. <laughs> Business Buyer Advantage, uh, that particular program is doing really well. There's actually some bonuses that I've been promoting to my email list that finish tomorrow. 
uh, on Christmas Day. And there have been a few people that have been signing up and taking advantage of that. So what um, I what, what I've always done with Business Buyer Advantage is from time to time, I put bonuses in the program as a reason to kind of incentivize people to sign up today. But anyone who signed up before, they can just go in and take the bonuses. So it's not like people lose out if they sign up when there isn't a promotion going on. Sure, sure. Uh, so that's that's just how I try to try to make it fair for everyone. Well, I, she asked what I what I thought she should do. You know who I who she should talk to, and I, I'm I'm just such a huge believer in 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 engaging some outside expertise, but also some thinking and talking around it. Right? Oh, I, I came across this. What do you guys think? Boom. Here, here's here's some different perspectives on it. Now I'm not a, a solo practitioner doing it. So, but I tell you what, David, you and Henry have got a um, a, a lot to talk about. It's been a pleasure um, meeting with you today. I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna let you let you go and go see what I need to do in the kitchen to help. Awesome, Mike. Have a great day. Take care. So, Henry, you're in Texas as well. Chris says it's 70 degrees. How about where you live? Well, I used to be in Texas, but I moved earlier this summer back to Florida. So I'm actually in Florida, and it's very warm here as well. Oh, good. Well, this is what I wanted to ask you about, because uh, last year when you came on, you were about to make an investment with your cousin mm -hmm. in a new business uh, franchise that you guys had signed up with. And then uh, I listened to your podcast every once in a while, and I, you had interviewed your cousin. and. You know, why don't you tell everyone what industry it was in? Because clearly, this is you guys got into something that, of course, uh, you had to make some pivots and deal with the whole lockdown and pandemic thing, didn't you? Yeah, no doubt. And it'll be interesting to see what the long-term effects are of the way this is, I think, changing the way people will work remotely. But yeah, we did uh, proceed with the Office of Illusions franchise. I'm a minority partner and I was my cousin's business coach, as you mentioned. And we actually opened the doors in uh, June, so just in the, in the heart of the pandemic, when things are officially shut down, we opened the doors. Now, part of the reason we were able to open and stay open is because we receive mail is considered an essential business, a place of business. So we were able to open, but it obviously significantly impacted our plans for signing new members. Right. Uh, so our, our, our concept, if you're familiar with any other, you know, traditional uh, executive suites or co-working space, it's the new evolution of that. It's the combination of that. We have actual private offices, about mm -hmm. 40 of those in different sizes that can serve uh, either an individual or a team, a small team. And then we have co-working spaces, drop-in spaces, conference rooms, and everything down to you just want a membership for a business address so that you can get on Google My Business. So that whole range of services. But obviously, initially, people just were afraid to come in, even for a tour. Right. Uh, that's gotten better, uh, certainly in South Florida, where <laughs> they're kind of ignoring the pandemic a little bit more so than other parts of the country, perhaps. We did finally do a ribbon-cutting open house event with the Chamber of Commerce just two weeks ago. So think about that since June till now. Of course, social distancing with masks and the whole bit. Mm -hmm. So it has impacted it significantly, but nonetheless, we're open and in business. Well, I, I'm I'm glad that you were able to open. Was was your opening date in June? Was that the original plan, or did you get delayed because of the lockdown? We only got delayed about a month. Uh, surprisingly, we thought it was going to be more significant. We had gone into it as is always the case with with any kind of business that depends then on 
some municipality approving permits and the whole bit, we thought, oh boy, they're shut down. But in fact, they were still operating and because they had less to keep them busy, meaning less businesses that were opening, that didn't take as long as we were fearing. So we were only slightly delayed. Construction continued because obviously it was a dedicated crew and they took safety measures and it was a crew that had already been working together. So that did not get impacted much, if at all. So maybe maybe 30 days was all that was delayed. Well, what's interesting, I was thinking about you um, a little while ago. Earlier in the fall, there was a, a newspaper article in my local newspaper here where they interviewed the owners and managers of three different co-working spaces here in town mm. who had said that their membership had grown because some of the companies had closed their offices and sent everyone home and some people just were not happy about being at home and were personally taking upon themselves to join some of these places so that they could go somewhere away from the house have fast internet you know cups of coffee and and some space obviously they're they're doing what you talk about you know having making sure there's adequate room around everybody and probably wearing masks and everything too but i thought it was interesting because some people are just i know that some people are just not well suited to working from home alone yeah i know that that's definitely the case at least around other people don't they yeah, and I think that last part is is a key part. You know, it's interesting. My my partner David began uh, early on uh, in the days of the car wash business, which we sold a couple of years ago now, or a year and a half ago. He worked from home and he hated it. Versus, I love working from home. But it's exactly the point you make. Uh, other than the, it may not be physically possible for you to have a quiet space or good internet connection. Most people desire and need that interaction, that networking opportunity. I don't as much because I'm more of a loner type, but most people do. And so I think that's an interesting component that we're going to see people craving and mm -hmm. needing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Chris, thanks for the comment. Business Buyer Advantage course was great. Thank you very much. I'm, I, that's what I aim for. I just I want to help people get the information they need to make sure they don't or try to avoid a bad deal anyway. Right. Um, so now you're in Florida mm -hmm. and, and Henry, so I got a lot of questions about Florida because, sure. uh, you know, what is it like being there now? Because obviously the, the government there has said that we're not going to, you know, Im impose these restrictions and things on businesses, but I'm, I'm guessing that business just the, you know, people in their own, liberty of choice of what they're going to do. There's got to be some businesses that are imposing different rules and some individuals obviously are choosing to either go out or to stay home or what have you. So how does that boil out when people and businesses are left to make their own decisions about how they want to deal with, uh, with what is a real germ spreading around that, that could hurt some people? What is it like there now? It's a little bit of craziness. <laughs> it depends on what part of the state you're in. We moved to a much less populated area called Port St. Lucie, which is about an hour and a half north of Fort Lauderdale on the okay. East Coast. So very small population, purposefully. If you go down into South Florida, in fact, just read an article where because of those loose rules, a lot of people this holiday season have traveled to the Miami area to party, enjoy, partake, and and everything is seemingly open. And uh, there's a lot of concerns that that's going to create another, you know, explosion of the spread of the virus. I think you see mixed results where I'm in in this part of, of Florida. Most people, when you go out in public, are wearing a mask. Most businesses are requiring it. But, of course, it's this delicate balance that's, as a business owner, is kind of unfair because 
you're putting it on the business to try to enforce this and you have people on extremes end of the scale on this. And so it's, it's a, that's a touchy issue. You know, when I go to my local grocery store, which I was just there last night, the Publix chain, most people were wearing masks. Uh, in fact, I think everybody in there was wearing a mask. We went up to Disney World and certainly Disney World is an example. We went two weeks ago, believe it or not, mandatory. I mean, they're not playing around with it, right? Temperature check as you walk in, uh, mandatory masks, people throughout the park monitoring that. I didn't see a single person not wearing a mask. So I think there's different levels. A lot of restaurants are doing the temperature check as that added kind of level of safety. Every restaurant, we don't go out that much, but we do go out, especially places that have outdoor seating. We feel more comfortable that way. Those places, the servers are all wearing masks. So I think people are trying, but you know, it's it's a hard thing. It's a hard, I think it's a hard thing to put it on the business to try to enforce that because it puts the business owner, a small business owner, in an awkward position. Yeah, you you know, if if you create a certain rule and your customers expect that that's going to be enforced, then then you could end up having to, you know, say something to an individual that might cause you to lose their business or cause them to become upset. You know, right. I, I I totally understand. What um what do you think twenty twenty one holds for you and your cousin's Ooh. business or or for business in general? Yeah, I mean, well, obviously you know I got other businesses, my, my frozen yogurt business in Colorado has been impacted significantly. So we just went back to having to shut down for dine-in. So okay. that's the business I own with my partner, David, beginning Colorado Springs. And it we had to shut down indoor dining right away initially. And then so kind of hobbled through takeout only. Then we were able to open back up. And now I think it's two weeks ago we had to, the, the county became another red zone. And so the state mandated a closure again. So we're back to take out only. So our sales are, have dropped precipitously. We're hoping that business turns around. We're actually actively selling that business so we can chat about that. And then the other business that I'm involved with is my wife's travel consulting business that came to a screeching halt in 2020. Yeah. So, so 2021 to begin to answer your question is about beginning to rebuild those businesses, especially my wife's business for office evolutions. We believe we're confident. We'll see what happens that like we've already talked about this shift to remote work, I think is going to be with us for a period of time. Yeah. I don't think it takes much forward vision to see that that's kind of happening as you alluded to. Mm. So we're hoping to benefit from that, not just from the individual business that, you know, is no longer able to work at home or never could, but also corporate environments that are, I think we're going to see corporations saying, you know, David, you've got this monthly stipend and you go find the solution that works best for you. Well, it's, it's, it's interesting because uh, before I was doing this full-time, I, I worked with American Express and I was in their, their corporate division and uh, here in Canada on the East Coast. And so I always worked from home, but up in, uh, in Toronto, they actually had a, a large office campus in Markham, Ontario with a couple of buildings and the place had been Oh, I don't know, at least at the 1980s or something. It was room for thousands of people. Wow. When I was there, it was only less than half full. And during my my time with American Express, their lease came up and they went looking for a new place. And my the my direct manager and her direct supervisor, they were people who went into the office every day. And there was, you know, it was a building surrounded by an ocean of asphalt, as you might imagine, you know, suburban office kind of complex kind of place. And so they went to the office every day and 
the company moved from that giant office campus to occupying a few floors of a very tall, thin building um, closer to the city center in Toronto. And um, a lot of the people who used to go to work every day in the office were assigned a free parking spot only for mm. a couple of days a week. <laughs> so I remember uh, one guy, Kirk, who was a couple levels up for me in the organization. You know, he used to go every day. And then all of a sudden, if he wanted to go more than Tuesday and Thursday, for example, he was going to have to pay for his own parking and it wasn't cheap. Yeah. And so they, they kind of forced it on everyone. The, the only people who still had their own desk where they could put their own personal belongings and things were people that handled the very sensitive information that had to do with like card numbers and all that kind of stuff uh, for security reasons. But everyone else that was involved in every other function of the organization, they only wanted people to coming together a couple times a week for meetings and they wanted everyone else to be at home. Interesting. It'll yeah. be interesting, Mike, uh, David, how, how, how long this lasts, because I think we, we see these cycles. I think that now certainly during what has happened this year, organizations, large organizations have said, okay, this, this remote thing seems to work. Certainly the technology works. Let's, and we, we would love to get rid of that large, huge lease that we've, we've signed up for or the corporate campus. But it'll be interesting if we don't come back away from it. Corporations don't come back away from it in a few years because of what they might see in the way of slip of productivity, individual productivity. It'll be interesting. Well, and culture is a thing too. I've already heard some of the people, uh, these big Wall Street investment firms and whatnot in New York City saying that you know their teams are working well from home, but the problem is is how do you indoctrinate someone into your corporate culture when exactly. they when they join a team like that and they have never had a chance to be amongst the people that they're working with, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it, so so you can begin to see a slippage of a, a you know, and I'm sure the culture they're referring to is one where people work really long hours and really hard, <laughs> yeah, you know, exactly. all that kind of stuff. Um, if people are a little more relaxed, maybe they don't. <laughs> They don't hit the numbers that they want. Or that's right. Like that. That's right. Or but, there's, and there's also a lot of distractions, right? There's just because for most people, for most employees, we're, we're talking about employees now, not business owners, you know, that, that they're not set up for working from home on a productive basis. And maybe during the school year, if they're in school, but come summertime, you know, it makes it a challenge. I think what we're going to see is a hybrid. And I'm already reading a lot about this, where instead of the corporate giant campus, Hmm. You have satellite locations and those going back to my business could end up instead of in signing 10 year leases end up in shared spaces, right? Right. Whether it's private offices or co-working, depending on your position, but allowing for smaller groups of people from that organization to come together for, for meetings, for leveraging each other, for the networking, for the culture of it. Yeah. And uh, so um, let, let's talk a little bit about your coaching work because uh, sure. when you were in Texas, you were working with people through the local score office. Are you now doing that in Florida too? I am. Yeah. I, I just joined the, the Broward County, which is not where I live. It's that Broward County is down in Fort Lauderdale, but it's a very active chapter of score. So just recently joined with them. You know, I, I have to limit how much I do a score because I'm, because I've got, I'm not retired, right. Which is the typical makeup of a score mentor still today but I've already taken over. I'll be doing one of their workshops here starting in the new year. So yes, that, so I do that, of course, as a volunteer basis, but then I still do coaching and consulting in my own business, of course. Okay. And how's uh, how's your podcast going? I mean, I, I think you've got a great podcast. Because Thank you. You get 
under the hood and talk about some of the the details about operations and and some of the things that are not glamorous and it, mm-hmm. oftentimes you know it it amazes me when I'm going online when I'm on things like YouTube and I, you see certain things getting all of this response and and uh, and viewership and it's it it tends to be very fluffy stuff where it's not where the problems often are in a, a real small business when when people have to learn to to manage or navigate their way through something. Yeah, no, I appreciate that because that's exactly one of the reasons I launched the podcast. It was about the how-to. It was about not the unicorns that we read about, and those are all great and inspirational. But it's early on in my business career, I realized, okay, I'm never going to be an Apple or a Steve Jobs. or uh, Those are great to learn from, but I was always challenged, how do I translate what those large, successful startups and unicorns of the business world do, how do I apply that to my little micro business? And that's always been my focus, the how-to. So so very practical advice. But as you were talking with Mike earlier uh, on this broadcast, where you've seen your numbers grow, this year I've seen phenomenal growth. So every month, with the exception now of November, December, because I skip Thanksgiving week, I don't release. And uh, this week I don't release. So that kind of drops the numbers otherwise, but otherwise every month has been a new record. I think we're up to 55,000 downloads per month. So it has been a record year for me as far as listenership of the podcast. And, and I'm you know grateful for everybody who listens to it. I continue to get positive feedback. It's a lot of work, but I love it. Uh, I enjoy it. I have met so many people. I say this all the time, you know, you and I are a good example. You've been on my show multiple times. If nothing else, the people that I've been able to meet, you know, Mike Fingers, another guy who's been on my show, uh, that alone has been incredibly valuable, but um, it's been rewarding. I love having the conversations. You and I are alike. We can talk about business all day long if we if we are allowed to. And so it's it's been great. Well, I want to invite Adam to join us. Hey, Adam, hey, Adam. how are you? Did I surprise you there? Sorry. <laughs> Adam, I can't hear you. Do you have a microphone connected? I uh, can't hear me. Yeah, I can hear you now. Okay. Okay, great. Merry Christmas, guys. Thank you, Adam. <laughs> um, Henry and I were just talking about uh, you know systems and operations and things like this, and 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 then you popped in. Uh, you know, I could see you here from the control board, and it, I, th- I just thought it was an apropos moment because uh, Adam, uh, you and your mother sold your family bakery. Uh, it's a, a little over a year now, isn't it? Yeah, uh, to what we're going on twenty one months at the end of this month, so almost okay. two years. And 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 when I worked with you to help you sell the the family bakery, um, you know, I know that you were a huge proponent of implementing systems and processes, and you had really done a tremendous amount of work over how many years were you sort of implementing that kind of stuff? So we so when we sold, it was uh, eleven years and a quarter. Okay, um, we got serious. I would say. Five or six years in, when when we realized, hey, we want to grow, we had a lot of problems, and every every little bit we grew, we had more problems, and eventually, you know, the pain got so bad that it was, you know, run for the hills, lock up the doors, or or fix this, uh, and we we still, you know, we still wanted to double our business at that point, but the you know the on it, quite frankly, the the pain. Um, of, of owning a small business. And when, you know, when you're only doing X amount in sales, it's not that profitable either. Right. So, so you're not making a lot of money, you got a lot of pain, but you have big goals. You, you basically, you know, you have to evolve and grow or die. 
you know, and, and, and that was a decision that we had. And um, I kind of took it on my back that, you know, we're, we're going to figure this thing out. We're going to do it right. You know, so we we had cleanup mode for the maybe at that point we had we only had maybe six, seven employees. Um, and when we sold, we had like about 25. So, um, you know, it was, it, it was quite the journey. But to your point, I mean, the, the systems and the process are everything right. The, the dream of entrepreneurship is great. Um, but if, if you if you don't have systems in place to run your business and essentially give your staff and your team guidelines for how to run it without you and without you always telling them what to do, that, that it's it's the only way to do it. And it's the only way to get to sustainability and it's the only way to get to a level of profit um, that is anywhere commensurate with the amount of work that goes into owning a small business, which is, it's crazy, you know, it's, yeah. you know, there's the quote that, uh, what is it, you, you, you know, to, you, you quit corporate America to not work 40 hours a week to go work 80 on, on your own, which well, is pretty much the truth. The way that I always term it, Adam, is that when you work for yourself, you only have to work half days. It's up to you which 12 hours it's going to be. <laughs> yes. But Henry, but, you know, Henry, um, you um, earlier in your entrepreneurial career, you had a franchise pizzeria, didn't you? I did. I did. And then I and then I did. Uh, I was a realtor with Remax as well in the early 2000s. Oh, wow. yeah. But my first business back in 1991 was a franchise of a local pizza franchise in the Dallas Fort Worth area. And and so the the systems and everything that that franchise offered, how formative was that for you in the way that you treated every other subsequent business that you got into? Yeah, that's a good question. I think though it was it was influential, but I think my initial background, my career as a computer programmer, is where I really developed that knowledge and need for systems because that's what I did, right? So I knew how to develop systems, and I knew how important they were. But yes, having that. Was critical. I can tell you, I've sold you know several businesses now. The one I have for sale now, and, and the salon business that I sold about four years ago, specifically was mentioned. One of the reasons we liked your business is how well it was documented, how turnkey it was. That was a critical component to the buyers making the decision to go forward. Well, uh, yeah, uh, that. You know, when when I sold my junk removal business, that basically what the what the buyer said to me is he said, "Look, one of the big reasons I'm buying this business is because I think I can adapt your systems to the other part of my business." Mm -hmm. and, yeah. and a lot of the times, people don't necessarily understand just how important having this documented stuff really is. Adam, the the buyer for the for the bakery, you uh, you still know those people. You're talking with them, I would imagine, every once in a while. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we're, we're very close. Um, I was there yesterday, actually. Um, yeah, we talk. Rachel, you know, uh, is, is, is the new operator there. And I mean, honestly, we've, we've become like family that uh, the, the institution that we built was, you know, it still is very important to our family. Right. And it was it was very important for us um, not only to do well on our own, but we, we wanted it to continue to grow outside of our ownership. Um, so her and I, I mean, to the point of you know, we, we were working very closely the six months after um, this year, even we got together from, well, I should say, yeah, from January and February through February, we were getting together at least once a week, business planning. Um, I've kind of, you know, we've become very good friends, but also um, a, kind of a mentor relationship and, and not in the sense of, I know everything, but in the sense of, Hey, I've, I've done what you're doing before. And, and I've, I, I've scaled from, from one point to another so I can give you some guidance and what that's going to look like for you to take the next step, you know? 
And and to me, this is an example of what a real successful purchase and sale of a business looks like because you you build that relationship between the buyer and the seller. And and clearly, Adam, you uh, you want the business to be successful because of the family heritage that it carries. You know, the the reputation and all that kind of thing. But uh, but but these people are now your tenant, right? Correct. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so. You want them obviously to be able to afford to to, get, to pay their bills. Yeah, that that that's ideal. Absolutely. I'm but curious, you know, Adam. What, what do you what do you miss most about owning that business? Mm. Oh man. Um, oh, I mean a lot. And it, you know, on, I would say that the customers uh, is 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 as strange as that is. I was um, I I found that I had a soft spot for like hospitality in that business. Um, I've never baked a day in my life. I, I still haven't. I, I can't. You know, I don't know how to do anything in a kitchen. I can barely turn an oven on. Um, but I, I did like the retail operations and and serving people in that capacity. So um, and even you know, I, I would say I stop over there because my office is only five minutes from from the bakery. So I stop over there probably once a week, once every two weeks. You have a coffee, and oftentimes I, I see the customers. And uh, yeah, that's that's the part I miss the most, certainly. Yeah, I, I can see where that makes sense for you transitioning into real estate, where it's a very personal transaction. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the relationships are, are huge. And and so, how long was it after you sold the business that you decided that uh, perhaps getting into real estate was the thing for you? Uh, let's see here. Probably, I think I officially started training in October. So so I was done with the bakery like July July fourth. Um, I, I wanted to take a few months off. Um, in the meantime, you know, Dave, you remember, uh, Leah, my wife and I, we were, we were looking for other businesses to buy, you know, I even, we had you do some consulting work for us, a couple of them we were excited about, um, but nothing was just enough to get us over the hump to take action on it. My father, Jim is, is also, um, a realtor Remax and he had been recruiting me for, since he started five years ago. And I, um, I was hesitant for for a number of reasons. None of them ended up being making any sense because as soon as I got into it, I just loved it. I mean, right, a number of a number of reasons why, but it's been just a perfect fit. So um, I, you know, I, but as why I took, you know, I took a few months to do some soul searching and decide after an eleven year run, uh, Henry. I also um, I was in the corporate world for seven of those years. Wow. So, so I was doing both. So I was. Um, you know, I was a little burnt out, you know, and, and of, of the, the multitasking. And I, I just really wanted to be intentional about the decision. Yeah. And and if anyone in the in the audience wants to see the, the full story of Adam's family selling the business, there's a video on my YouTube channel called Adam P. Sells the Family Bakery. And just a, a quick search, we'll, we'll call up that video from, uh, well, I guess about 20, maybe 18 or 20 months ago, probably. Yep. In that yep. video. Yeah. Um, hey, David, I'll drop off here in a minute if you want me to. You can continue with Adam, or did you need me to stay on? Well, uh, no, uh, Henry, if, you, if you've if you got someplace to go, uh, I'll wish you a Merry Christmas, and and uh, sorry for the confusion with the link. Oh, earlier. no, that was, that was my bad. <laughs> uh, why don't you let everyone know the, the URL to go to if they're interested in tuning into your podcast? Sure, it's thehowofbusiness.com. Thehowofbusiness.com. Thanks, cool. and uh, yeah, get some of those sun rays and vitamin D for me. At, Thank at, you. The days here are still awfully short. The sun's at four in the afternoon. So. Thanks for having me be part of this, and I appreciate the conversation. All right, Henry. Merry Christmas. Take Merry care. Christmas, Henry. Same to you guys. Bye bye. <laughs> David, give me one second here. One second. Yeah, sure, no problem. Um, so, uh, Adam stepped away. I'll just remind everyone um, if if I know over the holidays this year 
there are a lot of people who would normally be traveling and stuff, and maybe they're going to be stuck at home because of the different travel restrictions and, and rules that have, have been imposed in different places. Um, I want to remind everyone that the holiday chat special that I do every year starts tomorrow. And so if people are on my email list, uh, which you can join over at davidcbarnett.com or uh, get to it directly at davidcbarnettlist.com, um, starting tomorrow for nine days in a row, every day you'll get an email with a new link to one of the holiday chat specials. These are one hour consulting calls that people have paid for. And so people have paid to spend time with me to talk about what is on their agenda. And um, so it's like a real call you get to listen in on. And if, uh, if you like them, there's a playlist on the YouTube channel of all the ones from the past three years, because this is the, this is the fourth year that I've done this promotion. So it's, it's been quite popular. Adam, um, I, I'm, interested in in how you decided to you know you took a break you looked at some other businesses you eventually got into real estate what is very interesting about your story of course is that you're much younger than most people that i've ever worked with who to exit a business mm -hmm. um it, but that is part and parcel with the fact that you were partners with your mom right correct yeah absolutely and, and what did she do was it more traditional kind of go into retirement from the exit Correct. Yeah, yeah. She's she's in retirement. Um, she was, you know, working part time just to keep herself busy. But obviously, with the with the COVID situation, um, she was working actually at a at a restaurant, just helping in the kitchen a few days a week. But she stepped back from that. She's still, you know, very active. Uh, you know, she's she definitely wants to continue to do something. Um, but it, you know, hopefully next summer she'll you know jump back into something like that. Uh, and so. You know, getting into real estate just before 2020, do you uh, obviously we know that real estate prices have gone up in a lot of places. Is, did you see uh, some of that benefit uh, in the Milwaukee area? Oh, yeah. I mean, it, you know, it, quite frankly, we're, we're in a real estate boom. Um, it's I mean, it's unbelievable. You know, it, it was and it's interesting, right, because you have the, the COVID situation. So many businesses um, have, have really suffered from that. And it was, and we had the polar opposite. You know, we we went into COVID um, already with about a third of the inventory that we needed for for a balanced market. Um, wow. And that's yeah, and that's 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 Milwaukee, but that's many places. I mean, that's I would say the average number is probably about half the inventory across the country that was required. So so it's interesting. COVID hits stay at home order well people we uh we were deemed as essential services in real estate um and the the market just boomed so so we really we never stopped and actually got busier than what we were pre-covid but it it actually makes sense you know i mean home has become more important to people than it was pre-covid right and and even myself you know you're at home more so uh, it, it's important to you know love where you where you live, but also where you work because now we're working from home, or so so many people are that that you know it kind of cranked up the heat, and then people started thinking, hey, I you know I I could use this if I'm going to be home more. I'd like a little bit more space. I'd like more over backyard, and and that just added fuel to the fire of already a booming market. We, we hear a lot about, uh, you know, what's happened in places like New York City where people are leaving, you know, uh, apartment dwellers in particular are leaving the, the center of the city trying to find more space. Here in Canada, same thing is happening. You know, a lot of people live in these uh, little condos in downtown Toronto. They're trying to get out into suburban areas or, or, or even moving here. 
you know, to the East Coast because sure. they if they are having to work from home, they can do it from here too. I mean, they, as long as they get an internet connection, is that same sort of story playing out um, for you there? Not really. I mean, and we, you know, we are not a massive metropolis. I think gen the greater Milwaukee area has about 2 million people, I believe. Uh, the, okay. the city itself is about 600,000. Um, so, so you're only, you know, it only takes you, uh, I don't know, 10 minutes in a car, basically from the city center to be out in the suburbs. So, oh, so it is, I think we're a little less sensitive to that. I think we are, we are definitely less sensitive. Um, and, but, and it's interesting because we sold quite a few homes, right. You know, I would, that are in the city just outside of downtown and they were flying too. And it was a matter of people who were, who were renting in smaller apartment buildings. Yeah. It was like, Hey, if they were going to buy a year from now or two years, you know, that just, uh, created more urgency for them to buy that house now, you know? So, um, there are obviously, there are more vacancies in apartments. And I, you know, I know from New York, that's a huge trend. Right. Yeah. Uh, and we do, we do see a little bit of that here too, but, but not even, I mean, it's nowhere close to what they're seeing in New York. You, uh, you mentioned that, um, you had looked at a couple of businesses and I, and I recall talking with you about one, um, how, are you still, you still have your eye out for something to buy? We, yes, yes, we do. Uh, we're actually very close to, to signing on the dotted line. Um, it's confidential as I can't give you all the details. Um, but certainly we're, we're supposed to close on a business by the end of the year here. Um, oh, so, wow. yes. So it's my, my business partner and I, and obviously my, my wife, Leah, um, will, will be involved at some point starting in, in 2021. Uh, it's in my, it's in the real estate sphere. Um, so I kind of, you know, I, I knew right away three months in, in March, I'm like, I found my life's work. You know, I, you, I told you before, you know, I work for uh, Milwaukee Power Tools, a large worldwide manufacturer of power tools and accessories. And then I work for uh, Wacker Neusen, a German company who manufactures um, skid steers and excavators and wheel loaders. And, and the, 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 the side business, you know, the one that my mother and I ended up selling um, just kind of was growing on the side until finally I hit a fork in the road, get serious about one or the other. And I decided to get serious about entrepreneurship. Um, knowing that, uh, you know, I'm not passionate about baking. I, I'm really not even like a food service person. So as much as I like the retail and, the, and that cafe um, um, hospitality portion, I knew I wanted something more business, financial, deal related, right? Um, so as soon as I got into real estate, I'm like, this is it. I'm where I want to be. So so all of the other previous searches at that point just kind of stopped because I'm like, I, I'm looking for something in this space. Yeah. Well, I was going to ask if it was a business that had had any kind of hiccup or change because of the pandemic. And uh, did this, has this business been improved or benefited from, from the same forces that have helped realtors? Yes. It, you know, it's absolutely benefited. Um, you know, you, you, you know, I'm this, I'm, I'm a fairly conservative guy, right? So I look at what's happening now and it's, it's, we, we know it's not sustainable. Right. We know that we're nowhere near. If you if you look at all the um, the number crunching and kind of where we're at in this market, it's it's nothing like it was in 2008, but it's still unsustainable. You know, this year in Metro Milwaukee, uh, home prices rose between six to nine percent. Next year, they're forecasted to raise another eight percent. It's simply not going to happen forever. Right. Um you know, and you, but you have this odd situation where, you know, builders aren't putting up enough homes, but to build a home today is quite frankly, outrageously expensive. 
<laughs> okay, so so let's talk about lumber because yeah. Uh, where I live, I live in lumber country, basically. This you know, sure. trees grow everywhere, and there's lumber mills all over the place. And when we went into the pandemic lockdown, and everything uh, Canada and the U.S. had a tariff thing going on, where they were imposing uh, tariffs on Canadian lumber, and because of the tariff, many of the mills had stopped operating. And so not only was there a limit to how much lumber was available, the whole value chain production chain had been th throttled to, to some degree. And when, you know, the, the whole building home improvement thing kind of was evident here, uh, you know, I hired a guy to build my deck. I think I hired Phil in April and okay. did the drawings and everything and, and, because of one of the beams being very long, I had to get an engineer stamp. So there were some delays, but by the time he got started, it was summertime and the building permit was for the deck and a fence, privacy fence. Okay. Well, he built the deck. And then by the time he got to ordering the lumber for the fence, we could not buy the lumber for the fence. It, it, the, it wasn't available. Sure. And so the building permit is still in my front window because I guess he's going to come and do it in the spring. Like, <laughs> We Jeez. just completely ran out of lumber. Hey, let me. Mark Mooney just joined, and hey, Mark, hey Mark with uh, Natural Born Mark. Coaches, but but Mark used to own a real estate brokerage, and so I'm just talking with Adam about real estate in Milwaukee, Mark, and he was talking about how prices uh, obviously have gone up there, and um, and how there's a shortage, and and the new homes are are very yeah. expensive. Um, how did builders react initially in the lockdown? Did some of them maybe pull back on their plans for the summer, Adam? Be worried about what oh, so It's interesting. We, we were fully embedded in this situation. So uh, my wife and I actually were in the process of building a home. So so we got to see both ends of this, you know, uh, and, and the builders, what actually, so we ended up not, after we signed the contract, we ended up pulling out of it. And there were a number of reasons, but one of them was um, by the time we had signed, the, the Metro Milwaukee Builders Association, the MBA, had added a clause to all their contracts that any cost increase that they took on post-contract due to COVID was would be passed along to the to the buyer. No, and we, yeah, and, and we yeah, and we were already uh, paying a huge premium, you know, I would say minimum 30% over an existing home. Um, and we're, and it, it just made us very uncomfortable. I'm like, you know, who knows what this is going to be. There was also a clause in there. It could take them an extra six months to build the home. And, and for us, it was just like uh, enough is enough. So we ended up finding something existing, um, which was very fortuitous because we got to stay right in the area that we wanted. But yeah. And, and, and so builders were, have been booming this year, but if you look at the, the economics of, of buying, of building a home now, it is outrageous the difference in a versus an existing home. And that has only fueled the existing home market even more because, you know, you can get a home that was built three or four years ago. There's still not enough of them out there, but you might save 40% versus what it would cost you to build today with the builder. I mean, for basically the same product. Well, I, I have a buddy who works in the in the poured concrete construction field, and he does a lot of foundations, but he also will do high-rise buildings, concrete floors um, uh, for residential and commercial construction. And they were finishing up at the um, 
just over the winter, they were finishing up the concrete work on a big, I think it's six story building, which was residential right. on top, commercial on the main floor. Yeah, sure. And there were plans for a sister building right beside it. And the developers panicked and didn't know what COVID was going to mean. So they told him to stop. And he disassembled all of his frames and, and all the forms and everything. And they wish they probably wish they hadn't because the first building's full and they already apparently leased out half the second one, but they have to wait now until spring before they can, they can start to dig into the ground and get the foundation going. So, so what we're benefiting from here is not just people who want to move from an apartment to a house, but we're getting, you know, Mark, uh, you've probably seen this too, where all these people from Ontario and Montreal and big urban centers are moving down here um, to get away from, you know, the, the problems with, uh, with the pandemic. They can't escape politicians, unfortunately. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. They're not, they're, they're not any smarter in New Brunswick than Ontario's. They're, they're <laughs> as long as they're smarter than the U.S. politicians. Okay, guys, we're, we're in a different realm of reality. <laughs> well, um, so what, uh, you have a holidays plan and everything, Adam, are you going to be doing any traveling or are you all just staying it's local? Yeah, we are. We're, we're, we're still kind of, uh, I would say honoring the lockdown as much as we can. And we're just, we're just trying to be careful, you know, and I don't, you know, nobody knows what the right answer is. I, I don't, I don't, I don't, uh, other than wearing a mask, but I think it's just good practice. I, I don't really fault anyone for what, however they feel about this, but we've just been a little bit more conservative. Mm. Yeah, myself as well. My dad's 82. So I'm cognizant of if I'm going to be spending any time with him, I need to be careful, you know, what. Correct. What I yeah, do. We, have, we have the same situation. Leah's parents are close to us. So we're like, you know, every, if, it's one thing to put ourselves in risk, but then if we pass it to them, you know, that. Yeah, you, you just the the ball just continues to ravel. You know what I mean. When I popped on here, I first saw Adam Purell, uh, which shows what twenty twenty is doing to us. And I'm like, no, it's not Purell. <laughs> <laughs> like that. The, the, the way your brain interprets. Well, uh, I can't. I went to sell a couch uh, last year on Kijiji, you know, which was basically our Canadian um, Craigslist, and I kept spelling coach. Uh, coach for sale because I spell coach so many times oh, around a day. I'm like, I can't spell couch anymore. So it's the same <laughs> way with Purell, Purcell. Yeah. yeah. Mark, <laughs> if, if I was Adam Purell, I would be on a yacht right now <laughs> doing this. Um, Hermosa Beach Joe says, uh, great show, David. Thanks for tuning in live. And uh, M Sway says, good diversity of guests. I, I'm guessing of guests. Uh, thanks very much. Um, I always have fun. Well, I mean, last year was the first time I did the show. And uh, it was it was such a great time uh, for me personally. My kids are always with my ex on Christmas Eve, so I was like, "What am you know? What am I going to do today?" Because everything shuts down. I mean, nobody's yeah. working. I haven't gotten any work emails since you know about eleven a.m. You know, everyone's kind of packed it in over noon hour, and they're they're gone home, and 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 that's great. And uh, my hope was always to create a little bit of content that people could listen to, maybe while they were doing car trips or whatever to visit relatives. I'm, that's not happening as much this year, but you know, hopefully, people who who have to stay home, who aren't able to see family and stuff, they can you know watch something like this or or listen in on the podcast stream and give us a little bit of distraction, uh, hopefully, for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. Well, awesome, um, Mark. What's going on with you? How how is the coach? And for those who don't know, Mark Mowinney's with Natural Born Coaches. You run a bunch of coaching programs for people in the coaching industry. 
to help them work on their business versus so much, you know, I think a lot of stuff out there for people in coaching is about how to be a better coach. You talk a lot about, you know, hey, pay attention to the business. What did 2020 bring for people in your industry? Because obviously there was some upset and change that would have happened with with the effects of the pandemic. Oh, boys. Uh, yeah, I mean, just like any industry, like Adam with real estate, and I know you too with uh, business brokerage and different things, Dave, uh, it's definitely affected things. There's no way around it, whether you um, think COVID's the scariest thing ever, or if, you know, there's people think it's, there's, it's the flu, uh, where, wherever you are, it's going to affect business regardless. So uh, with the coaching world, um, that's interesting. I found 2020 to be, my business is up, knock on wood, so I'm happy with that. It was an interesting year because besides COVID, we dealt with uh, the race um, protests, racial stuff. Um, I know, mm. Adam, you you guys had a lot of stuff going on in Wisconsin with oh, that yeah. too. Uh, yeah. Then you had the U.S. presidential election. And it seemed like, I don't know what was uh, in the water this year or whatever, but it was tough to get tougher to get your message out. Um, amongst all that, like through the thickets, because, uh, you know, there are times when I'd scroll down my social media feeds and out of 10 posts, eight of them would be over whatever controversy of the day. Uh, I was lucky. I think what helped me, and I know you're like this too, Dave, with your business is um, I was able to keep my head screwed on tight because I have certain things I do religiously. You know, I've been doing daily emails to my list since April 2016, have never mm -hmm. missed a day in 1700 plus days, knock on wood again. Um, but every, yeah, I'm like, hey, daily emails going out, my podcast, you know, kept going out and just all these other things. So I didn't I made a habit not to consume too much media and also social media. But if you're sitting there watching CNN 24 seven, like, how could you not want to jump off a bridge after, <laughs> yeah. you know, a few hours of that i mean it's it's pretty yeah. bad so you gotta stay yeah. away from it you do and uh, i mean i'm gonna hear if the world's gonna end i mean that doesn't mean that i'm not gonna hear it i do a, what i do every morning it's like a pub crawl except i call it a news crawl you know i hit probably 10 very quickly 10 news sites i like to check in on on both sides of the aisle to see what's going on and i get the heck out of there so that's my version of a pub crawl just bang well i'm eating my bagel and then i'm done you know, it's, it's what, what amazes me is that uh, th there have been many studies done about advertising and what um, most people will say if they're ever asked the question, does advertising affect people is almost everyone will say, well, it doesn't affect me, but yeah. it affects other people, right? And, and, and people really believe that they are far more in control of their opinions and feelings and ideas than I I think they really are like if you are plugged in nonstop to, you know, uh, negative, sad, worrisome messages all the time, then this is going to start to color the way you think. Um, I, I don't do a news pub crawl on purpose. Uh, I limit my news intake to a printed daily newspaper that's dropped off on my front step, just like it has been for oh. years. And, and my, and I've written about this a lot in the emails that I send out too. One of the things I love about the printed newspaper is the printed newspaper has no idea what I'm interested in or how to reorganize itself to yeah. to give me what I want, and which is what social media does, right? They have an algorithm. They keep feeding you the same stuff that you are interested in. You end up in this echo chamber where you're always exposed to the same stuff over and over, and you develop this idea that other people are seeing the same thing. And so then it's, then it's like – then it's um, – a shock when someone else has a different opinion. 
but, but what you don't realize is their social media feed is completely different than yours. They're seeing all kinds of different stuff. And this is what I like about printed newspapers because it's all laid out there. The editor or whomever is just trying to put all the stuff and make it fit around the advertisements or what have you. And so there are things that I will see and read that I'm not really interested in at all, but the headline might catch my attention. And you get to see different stuff that you might not normally be exposed to if you are just getting your news from social media. And an increasingly large number of people are just getting their news based on what their friends are sharing, you know, on, on Facebook or Twitter or what have you. And that with a newspaper, you're not getting all the uh, the dumpster fire in the comments section that you see online, right? Uh, so people not saying that's not biased, because I think every paper probably does have some sort of bias, but you're not seeing what uh, some kook that lives a thousand miles away is like, you know, cursing you out and, you know, ad hominem attacks and everything else. So I think it's definitely a little more measured with the paper. Mm. Uh, but a good example of the power of the media, I got my winter tires put on my vehicle because, of course, Canada <laughs> uh, recently, about a month ago or so, and I was sitting inside my garage and they're A1. I love them. They're perfect. My only complaint with them is they have the TV blaring in the waiting room. You can't escape it. And it's turned to the news where it's just this rotating uh, nonstop. You'd swear it like just it, it, I don't know if I had a dollar every time I heard COVID in that two hour appointment. I'd yeah. be very, very rich. And by the time I left there that day, I was off a little bit. Like, man, and I realized I'm like, yeah, because I just sat there for two hours and had to soak in the negative news nonstop. So going forward, I'm going to bring these and listen to a good podcast or, you know, audio book and just crank it up to uh, keep it out of my ears, but it's little things like that that you don't think of, or people falling asleep with the TV on too, which is very dangerous because that's getting sinking into your yeah. mind before you go to sleep. Yeah, directly into your subconscious. You know, yeah. Mark, all of my books are available on Audible. <laughs> yeah. If you, if well, you, I listen to them before bed every night, Dave. That's usually my <laughs> bedtime routine. <laughs> hey, David. David, before I jump off, Mark, I have a comment for you. So, yeah. um, you know, I like all of us, you know, I follow as many thought leaders as I can. I, I try to read uh, a lot of articles on the coaching thing. It's interesting. It was maybe a week or two ago. I read like um, it was a, an art. I think it was an ink article, like the top three things that determine whether or not a, a coach is going to be successful. And the article, it was, it was, I've never heard this before. It made total sense though. It, the, the point was the number one factor in whether or not a student will be successful in working with a coach is whether they have a growth mindset or a fixed mindset. Mm. And it was, it was, it was such a katana shot in my brain because, you know, I consider myself like a growth person and I, I tell myself that every morning I can get better and all these things. But it's interesting that if you, even for myself, I'm like, you know what, every time I, I can't get over a problem, it's myself in my head saying, I'll never get better at this and I can't get better at this. So it was just like really captivating to me, you know, of, yeah. of, of that because it's like 60% of the areas I have the growth mindset, 40, I have this fixed mindset. I got to fix that. And if this is ever going to be effective. So anyways, I wanted to share that with you because yeah. it's been in the back of my mind recently. Well, well, that's all uh, Carol Dweck with her book. She literally wrote the book of mindset because it's called mindset. Right. <laughs> and, yeah. And that's one of uh, probably my top 10 books when I'm recommending books that coaches and other people should read is Carol Dweck's book. So I agree totally. I've, I've read that book and I've got, I've got this deck of affirmation cards that I go through every day and I read them out loud. And one of them is I have a growth mindset because I think it's something that you have to constantly remind yourself of. Um, and, and what, 
what I like to tell my kids is that if you can learn how to read, then you can do anything you want. It's just yeah. a matter of then getting the right information and absorbing and learning and figuring out what you, what you want to do. And, you know, I, I try to reinforce that with the kids that there are no limits. It's just, now you got to find the knowledge you need and maybe you have to practice and develop some real skills in one way or another, but, but there's no limits to what someone can do. Adam, thanks a lot for joining us today. It was great to catch up and see you again. Thanks guys. Merry Christmas. Yeah, thanks, we'll, we'll talk in the new year about the, the deal going on. Awesome. Sounds Have good. Bye, guys. All right. And Chris gave a comment saying, happy holidays, guys. Happy hey, holidays to you, Chris. Um, I'm having a lot of fun here with StreamYard. Of course, for people who are regular viewers of the YouTube uh, channel, they will know that I've been practicing um, <laughs> my StreamYard skills, hoping, working up to this today, today to make sure that it, it comes off without a hitch. Good stuff. That's a, that's our biggest fear, right? At the end of the day, it's not the end of the world if something did happen. But on this, whether it be webinar or whatever, I'm like, oh, please, tech gods, be on our side today. Yeah. <laughs> well, did you lose power earlier today? Well, I've been on the road today. I, I was going from Moncton to Fredericton, so I, I don't know. Okay, well, uh, I lost power here in the West End, so uh, it came on just in time. So oh, good stuff. We're all good. And then the, awesome. Henry, thanks for sharing. Adam, great stuff. Henry Lopez, thank you, Henry. Hey, um, I have uh, so so. Okay, so here's here's the thing that that I want to ask you about. And uh, earlier today, when Mike Finger was on, we we alluded to this, is that in a period of economic trouble, a lot of people end up losing their work positions. A lot of people will end up turning to entrepreneurship. Coaching is often something that people can get into as a solopreneur kind of pursuit. Have you seen an influx of people curious or wanting to learn more about the coaching industry since unemployment uh, started to increase with all of the you know economic uh, catastrophe of this year? Yeah, no doubt about it. Even if 2020 was a quote normal year with no COVID and none of that stuff, I'm sure coaching has been just, you know, hockey stick growth or at least consistent uh, growth since 2014 when I started. It seemed like there were a lot of coaches then, um, way more now. And definitely with 2020 after with the lockdowns, everything else. Uh, what's happened too is I think, believe it or not, some people, uh, didn't know what Zoom was <laughs> before. So one, one of my friends yeah. who you happen to know, uh, who's a lawyer uh, back in the spring said, hey, there's a really cool a tool you should check out. It's a video platform. It's called uh, Zoom. Have you heard of it? And I'm like, yeah, I've been living on there for years, but thanks. You know, but I, we're in a bubble online. We think everybody's heard of Zoom and they know it. And he hadn't. And so many other people are really getting used to working from home. They're like, wow, you know, maybe this is good to transition over. So coaching is booming. Um, uh, the, the recent coaching survey from ICF was just released. And the numbers that they gave seem low, but they're only looking probably at certified coaches and stuff. It's mm -hmm. way more. I mean, my group alone is, uh, Facebook group is 20,000. Now, some of them are aspiring coaches, but uh, yeah, the numbers are, are huge. Yeah. And, and so, you know, when, when you're working with coaches, you have some different programs and things. Have you seen like, well, talk about your Facebook group because how much are you, how many people are you up to now? We're almost to 20,000. We're at last I checked. That's 19, incredible to me. And, yeah. 19,500 and change or something like that. So January we'll hit 20,000. Yeah. And, and so these are all just people who are either they're coaches or interested about coaching 
or they just want to be part of a discussion and talking about about the topic. Yeah. I mean, we're pretty tight on who we let in, but I'm sure there's some uh, people who are fake accounts or bots that sneak through. I mean, that's inevitable, but overall, we're pretty tight on on the whole admission process. And yeah, the group started September 2015, uh, so just past five years. It, it, I had a really good start with it because it, it got to 500 really quickly because I'd have my name out there through the podcast and other stuff. Right. But once it hit 1,000, it just seemed really uh, steamroll. Or it, it just got going. And Facebook started suggesting the group to a lot of other people. And here we are now with um, about 20,000. So yeah, it's been going really well. So now this is a channel about business stuff. And so in that world of coaching, you know, what do you think, what proportion of the world of coaching is, is oriented around business stuff versus uh, the life coaching? Because I know there's all kinds of coaching. I was I yeah. interviewed someone uh, a couple of weeks ago for the Business Buyer Adventure Group who had pre, pre, who was a sales coach, but previously had had a career as a dating coach. And so there's yeah. diet coaches, there's coaches from the world of you know physical activity and sports. You know the coaches that we kind of I've always known about, and then there's uh, you know life coaches. What is a life coach? Well, I, I don't want to pick on my life, my life coaching. For what does that mean? Did that come through? Um, I don't want to pick on life coaches because I, I think that they their heart's in the right place and there's a lot of great life coaches out there. It is difficult if you're starting out brand new and you say, hey, I'm going to be a life coach. And uh, and a lot of those t- types of coaches say, I want to help people um, you know, achieve happiness, uh, their ideal relationships, make more money, be more spiritual, uh, healthier. And you know they're trying to cram a lot in there and it can be tough. That's very general. So my friend Carl Bryan, he's always, uh, him and I have talked about this. He's in the business coaching world where he has a platform that helps business coaches or a service, he's always trying to uh, lure life coaches into more of the business coaching side because uh, it is an easier sell, you know, with, in terms of showing ROI, everything mm-hmm. else, or at the very least, if you do something, um, another friend of mine, Tom Matson, always says, if you do something, tack on to the end for entrepreneurs. So instead of um, helping uh, people achieve, you know, if, if it's a stronger marriage or something like that, it's specifically for high earning six, seven figure entrepreneurs who are going to pay a fortune if they get divorced, <laughs> you know, if their relationships go uh, with it. So not saying that you can't be a successful coach as a life coach, or if you're not involved with the business side of things, but it does make it easier if you can point out that ROI, which comes from business coaching, basically. You know, the, the four entrepreneur tag onto almost anything, as you, as you say, makes a lot of sense to me because I think that, uh, you know, there really are two different worlds and, um, you know, if you run a business, I run a business, we hang out sometimes, we meet up and go have beer and stuff like that. But what I find is that when, when there's some sort of crisis in business or you need to get something done for a client and you, you, sometimes will invade your personal social space time with the business work that you know has to get done. And if you're, you know, talking with other people who own their own business, they understand that when you talk with people who are employees, they, they often don't get that. They, they're so far divorced from the, the world of, of, you know, having to do whatever it takes to make sure the things stay on the, on the rails. Um, I, I can really see that because, you know, anything to do with life, if you're running your own business, it's, it's, it's different than how the vast majority of people get to live. Yeah, and you have to get your foot in the door as a coach. So you, if you are a business coach, 
every every coach is a life coach in a way because if you're a business coach there's other things that are going to spill in there from your client with their own personal life and health and other things like that so i'm not suggesting you're only talking you know numbers and business and and so on uh, you're going to have to get them through the door and then you could use some other tools that are in your toolbox uh, so to speak but if you don't get them through the door you're not going to get that opportunity yeah. Um, I'd just like to remind everyone, whether you're watching live or you're watching the, the replay, uh, it really helps a lot if you click the thumbs up button on YouTube. Uh, it helps the algorithm tremendously. And if you're fairly new to the channel, um, if you're interested in more of the background of some of the people that, uh, that I'm having on today and, and some of the stuff that we might be talking about, I'll remind everyone that if you go to my YouTube channel main page, there are playlists. I've got it sorted by several different topics. And you can actually watch a playlist for people that want to buy a business, a playlist for people that want to sell a business. Um, I think there's about eight or nine different playlists that I have set up. It's an easy way for people to kind of consume the content and, and sort of catch up on stuff. Um, Mark, you started your podcast was before I started my YouTube channel, didn't you? Uh, November 2014. Okay, so I, I started making YouTube videos in 2014 as well. So it was around the same time. But you you had gone whole hog initially. You were doing it daily, correct? Yeah. Then once I got out of the loony bin, I scaled it back. <laughs> yeah, it was a little crazy. So um, in a nutshell, when I started my coaching business 2014, but then the podcast later that year, I learned podcasting with John Lee Dumas, his community, Podcasters Paradise. John's a host of Entrepreneur on Fire, EO Fire. And uh, of course, John was doing daily. He was kind of the godfather of coaching, even though he'd only been at it, or sorry, podcasting, only been at it for a couple of years, but he was doing a daily show. So I'm like, you know what? John could do it. I'm going to do a daily show. And so for the first 300 episodes of Natural Born Coaches, it was a daily show. And I was editing it myself because uh, my twin brother, Matt, now handles it. He's been uh, started his podcast editing business in 2015. I very gladly handed it over at that point. But the first 300 episodes, it was me doing it. I'd rather get a root canal. Uh, it was. I hate editing. It's just, uh, it's not my thing. I don't want to listen to my same jokes. I was already there. I said the lame jokes. I've heard the interview. So I'm the type when I do an interview, it's in the can. I don't want to hear it again. It's just gone off to the next one. So that's how the numbers jumped up so quick. So people look at me now and they're like, oh, geez, you got 700 or almost 700 episodes of your podcast. Yeah, we got to the first 300 or so really quickly. I yeah. kind of uh, went backwards. Some people start one a week and then they go to maybe three times a week. Then maybe they work them up to daily. I was at daily, so seven times a week, then five times a week, then three times a week. And then I've settled at the once a week, which is much more manageable. But I'm basically putting more of my effort now into the daily emails. That's my daily focus if, if i'm doing something daily yeah cool i i just noticed that um santa claus came into the studio so i'm gonna uh i'm gonna uh let santa claus in hey how you doing rick nice hat hey rick hey mark hey dave how you guys doing we're good. doing good good stuff we're just talking about uh mark about how he grew his uh his podcast audience and and r really with with the podcast the facebook group etc you you grew that to grow your coaching business but it has almost become a media business at the same time because so many people are tuning into your platforms under your control that you are actually able to monetize that. I know you did an episode of your own show recently about how you, you know, do a joint joint venture with some providers, um, which 
really you call it a joint venture, but in my mind, it's it's a sponsorship model, is it not? Well, I got into this with someone else. We're splitting hairs over the whole definition of a joint venture. Um, I view it as a joint venture, but you know, it's potato, potato. Um, yeah, basically, uh, I do flat fee joint ventures. So let's say, Dave, you you have something that's of interest for coaches. Um, I agree to promote it for a week, you know, heavily, just hammer the heck out of it. And uh, you pay X amount and then you keep 100% of sales, you know, with it. And uh, I did a lot of it. I did probably 30 of those in 2020. I, I did too many. Now, they weren't all one week. Some were, I do a mini one three days or so, which was great for revenue. But to be honest, it also took away a little bit of me promoting my own stuff because I have to promote the partners so heavily. So 2021, I'm trying to find that balance, you know, between the two. So then tell me, how much should I be charging Rick for this, this scroll scrolling banner that goes across the bottom? 300, I would say is fair. $300? Yeah. Okay. So um, maybe we, uh, we could, we could, uh, convert that to growler fills so yeah, or free, maybe free lunches for life or something dinners or restaurants yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah so there you go the internet's going to call you again rick well hey, i mean i don't want to stick around too long here and interrupt your guys stuff i can scoot out here and uh you know well it was good to see you uh mark uh happy holidays and um and i'm sure we'll chat again soon yeah, same to you guys. Uh, I know you have a good chat. I will say normally I wouldn't do a call on Christmas Eve, but now this is a little tradition where I did this last year with you guys. So I said, no, nah, I got to do Dave's. But if it was Joe Blow saying, hey, you want to hop on Christmas Eve? I'd be like, piss off, you know? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I'm glad that you chose to come yeah. and join us. It's always good to see you. Awesome. Have a good one, guys. Merry Christmas, Dave, Rick, everyone watching. Uh, yeah, have a good one. All right. Merry we'll see you later. Bye-bye. So Rick, you got all your Christmas shopping done? Yeah, yeah, I finished it this morning. Oh, really? Did you go out to the stores? Were they busy? No, well, I had to do a couple things that there were just small little things to put together. Uh, the stores aren't too, too bad. But they weren't busy even leading up to the holidays. We were out on Monday and Wednesday. I guess. Yeah, no. Well, my wife was out yesterday, so I don't know. I didn't ask her what it was like. But Monday and Tuesday, I was out. And they're they're not busy at all compared to previous years. Well, and then for those of you guys who don't know the geography, uh, Rick lives uh, just outside the city that I live in, Moncton, New Brunswick. It's kind of like the center of three provinces, Nova Scotia, New Brunswick, and Prince Edward Island. And as the center point, it's like a shopping hub. And and right now, as we speak, uh, there are border controls. So, you know, all the shop holiday shoppers from Prince Edward Island and northern Nova Scotia, they're not here. They're, 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 they have to go do their shopping at home. And so I would imagine it's not, uh, not the best of times for some of the retailers here. They're not seeing the same volume of, uh, of customers. No, and they're limited too, right? So if the, depending on their square footage, they can only have so many people in at a time. So in a store like Bass Pro Shops, there's only allowed 50 people in the store at a time. And so you're seeing that lineup. Bass Pro, I didn't see the lineups, but I did see it at the grocery stores and some of the other retailers in the malls. And I mean, I remember you know, going back probably 20 years, uh, if you want to do your shopping at the last minute, you did it on Mondays and Tuesdays. Mm. And it felt so weird. The la And the, not the last week of Christmas. The last week of Christmas, it was busy every day. And it felt so weird being in the mall. Uh, even at Costco Monday, um, it felt like it felt like a September. Did yeah, you just a regular run-of-the-mill day. 
Yeah, and Costco's busy. Don't get me wrong, but if if you look at Christmas time and how busy they are, it's not even close to the same thing. Yeah, yeah. So, so how was twenty twenty for you? You were on the live stream a couple of weeks ago. You talked a little bit about the insurance settlement for the restaurant that had burned down and stuff. As of right now, you are divested of all your restaurant businesses, correct? Yep. And so you're you're still doing the contract work with the Economic Development Agency, helping new entrepreneurs get set up and and started in the right direction. Okay. Why, why don't you tell us a little bit about that? What uh, what what kind of program is that? Well, it's a it's a training program for new entrepreneurs who are. You know, they, they, depending on their experience, they may have a lot of, of startup experience or none at all. And it just gives them a wide scope of, of different disciplines that they should be aware of um, mm-hmm. that uh, they may not have understood before. So what I tell some uh, students or entrepreneurs coming into the group, because some of them are like, well, you know what? I've been working in the industry for 15 years. I don't really need to understand what it means to be in business. And the argument that I make for them is, well, I have seven years of university and business administration and 20 years of, of working in the industry and 15 years of, of entrepreneurship now. But I can tell you, when I took the course back in 2006, it was groundbreaking. There was stuff I didn't realize, it, what, you know, things that you need to know in order to get in business for yourself. And I had a background in marketing and accounting. And, yeah. uh, and there's some aspects of, you know, just business entrepreneurship like what does it mean and uh for me yeah there were some redundancies there from my education and my experience but there was a there was enough good information that i could take away and and apply it to uh to the business that i was about to start yeah well this this program and it's not something that you know viewers can sign up to or anything like that it's 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 funded by a government initiative and it's for uh people here in the local area but Back when uh, I left American Express, and I mentioned earlier here today, it was I knew when I left Amex, it was going to be to build my own consulting business to do work. And then appearing on YouTube just became a part of that as it unfolded. But uh, I, I went through that course um, mm-hmm. because it, it was a requirement to access um, a, a sort of a self-start benefit where the, they gave me a couple hundred dollars a week for the first 30 or 40 weeks, I forget exactly what it was, to help me get up and running. And what I found to be very interesting was that the the networking that you were able to do as a student there, because you had all these different guest speakers coming in from these different places, uh, was quite neat. And and one of the sources was uh, was a, a, a research office, um, and they changed their name a couple of times, like a lot of government agencies do. Yep. But, but I knew they existed and I knew what they did because of that course. And then just last week I needed something from them. And I remember I reached out to you to find out who the current contact was, but without taking that program, I wouldn't have realized that that sort of resource was available for me. And just for everyone that's listening, I was working on a project for, for a client, for one of you guys. And I wanted a copy of an industry report that normally you have to pay thousands of dollars a year to subscribe to. And I knew that this government office had a subscription and as a, citizen, I could get them to run a report for me. So, so just knowing that existed allowed me to save some money. And, and that's one of the big advantages I've always found from, from being networked and finding out what resources are available locally. And one of the, one of the big traps I find with people, because I'm online, people who are interacting with me through YouTube and all this kind of stuff, they're online people too is that sometimes it really pays to be unplugged and to actually create 
a network in your community because there's all this stuff available that isn't necessarily easy to find online. So that's a great that's a great point, Dave. So let me ask you this. Mm. Isn't it always a great thing to be unplugged a bit and and to know that there are other resources? Like and I think of, you know, the younger kids. My kids are still in their mid-teens, but and I I've seen this a lot even in in my consulting practice is that people will go to the internet first for information, which is, I mean, it's normal and I get it because there's a fast amount of, of stuff out there. But sometimes just going to the internet doesn't mean that all businesses and all agencies have all information available online. And, and so I remember when I first got started, being unplugged from the internet and understanding what doors to go open was really important. Hmm. Right. So isn't that still the case or does the Internet kind of just wipe all that away? No, I, I think it creates uh, different opportunities for different skills, different skill sets. When when I graduated from high school, um, I spent that summer between high school and university doing an entrepreneurship program because I've always been interested in business. And I remember on the very first day, um, the very first lesson because the, the whole point was to create a business plan over the course of the summer. The very first day we each got a copy of the phone book. And the very first lesson was on how to get information. Now that would have been 1993, the summer of 93. So the internet hadn't really blossomed or been accessible at that point, but we looked at the, the blue and green pages in the middle of the book in the, the phone book here, there was a white pages, Blue and green were like government listings and the yellow pages was the business advertisements. And we spent time looking at the phone book because the the person who was teaching, um, basically what he was saying is this is the access to everything you'll ever need to know about everything. And he was teaching us how to navigate, how to call up businesses to get information. You know, if your business plan was to make widgets, what goes into the widget. Now who supplies you with the stuff that goes into the widget? Now, how do we talk to these people? And I would, I would say that a lot of people today, if you would challenge them with calling up a supplier to have a conversation, to get information for a business plan about the cost of different inputs, it would be a big challenge for some people. I, I know that, you know, in my past relationship, um, my ex had teenagers and they were very hesitant to be, to talk to someone it's so almost a little bit of uh, anxiety around around doing something as simple as picking up the phone and talking to someone. Well, and and interesting as you were talking about this, I was thinking about buying in businesses. I mean, you you to help people buy and sell businesses, and I've bought and sold businesses, and we all know there are businesses that are for sale online, whether it's you know business for sale or Canada business network or Sunbelt or whatever, whatever brokerage you want to choose or whatever website you want to use. And you can go to, you know, Craigslist or Kijiji and you can, you'll find opportunity, but it's not necessarily good opportunity. The best deals never actually hit the screen. Yeah, it well, it's true. And, and actually the, the, the guest that's coming on after you um, is someone who's going to be speaking to that directly because um uh, he's working to find those deals that aren't on any of those screens. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and so okay, so so you're working on the um, on the entrepreneurship program. Uh, anything else lined up for 2021? What do you think is the big opportunity for this coming year? My God, um, there's going to be um, there's going to be some failures in 2021, mm -hmm. 
And the question is if the failures line up to what the opportunity that I'm looking for. If they do, then we'll look at it. Um, I'm not sure I want to get into a an industry right now that is being pushed down by government regulation. Uh, when I think about the restaurant industry, um, you know, they're at the whims of whatever the governments decide that they're going to do. That's what they'll do. Uh, I think there's going to be opportunity for sure, because in any time there's any event or anything that happens, there's opportunity in it. I'm not sure what that is yet. Um, buying a restaurant, maybe. If it's the right conditions and the right restaurant, maybe. Uh, I think there's going to be opportunity in liquidation. Uh, mm -hmm. Looking at looking at restaurants that are closing and, and equipment needs to be liquidated. I think there's going to be opportunity in, um, in the markets, in the financial markets. Uh, the markets are, if you'd listen to any of the pundits, they're saying that the markets are, are destined to crash in 2021, whether that comes true or not, there's going to be opportunity in that volatility and you have to decide, you know, be, be financially aware of what's going on and, and, uh, and then take advantage of whatever that may look like. I, I think that 2021 is going to be, is going to be very interesting because of, and it depends on which group of people you find yourself in, because obviously there's, there's one group of people, people who, you know, have government jobs or they work in big companies or, or what have you that are, are probably pretty insulated from what happens. Mm -hmm. And then you've got the people who, um, you know, who, who are going to find themselves without an income. Right. And so, so their point of view and what they're going to see as an opportunity or, or what they could do is going to be very different. And then there's the people who, who are prepared, right? Who, who like, well, yourself, for example, you've exited some businesses, you got an insurance settlement on one that burned down. So you're in a position where you can kind of wait for the right thing. What I'm looking out for when I'm out and about in the public are the people who are in that position where they need to get something going for themselves and I'm looking to see what kind of creative things that start to come out of this because people will always find a way to to work themselves out of a problem. And I was reading um, an interesting article about a couple here in town that own a few food businesses. Um, one's an outdoor beer garden type of business. They actually did better this summer than they did last summer. Mm -hmm. Another one of their businesses is a fine dining place that's really challenging. And their response to this whole thing was to open a pop-up business, a donut business, where they told everyone we're only going to be open for two and a half months, you better get in here. And they were succeeded in creating a, a frenzy of activity. Everything I've heard is that they've done quite well with it. And I believe it's winding up here uh, after New Year's. So uh, to me, seeing how people can be creative with these different circumstances uh, it always impresses me how people think of new things. Now, it's funny you talk about that pop-up donut shop because I was in there a few weeks ago and talked to the owner. And uh, I asked him if it was a temporary thing. And he said, we started it off as a temporary thing. And we're looking, because we have such high demand for our product right now, we're looking at maybe making it full time. And I didn't know if that was a good idea or if he was just kind of talking off his hat and didn't really think about the strategy of it. But I don't know. Did you read that recently? Uh, it was probably the beginning of this week. Okay, so maybe they've changed their focus and decided to close it down. Because there's this honeymoon thing that happens with any new product. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And maybe it's starting to wind down. That bell curve's going in the wrong direction. And January, February aren't a good time of year to be selling fattening donuts. 
Well, there's a, there's a honeymoon period where people want to try the new thing. And then there's the scarcity FOMO thing of knowing something's not going to be available. And I, I believe that the, you know, producers on Broadway probably figured this one out a hundred years ago, mm-hmm. right? You create a big, big, uh, um, you create a lot of spin and publicity about the new show that everyone's going to run out to go to. And then you make a big uh, show about how it's ending at a certain time. And if you haven't seen it, you better get out here. And, and, you know, then you take the product off the shelf and you put it, you put it away somewhere and then maybe resurfaces again or resurfaces in a different way. Right. It's not that much different than the toy industry at Christmas time. So they release a certain amount of product and they know it's, you know, something that's going like crazy. I remember in my, my younger years, it was Tickle Me Elmo. So mm-hmm. Tickle Me Elmo would go, would fly off the shelves. People would beat each other up in the, in the Walmarts to pick up a Tickle Me Elmo. But then there, there was a scarcity that there wasn't that many available, but all these children had asked for a Tickle Me Elmo at Christmas. So come January, when things got back to normal, the toy company would release all these Tickle Me Elmos. And it would increase the sales of the toy industry in January, which is typically a flat month. And because parents felt guilty that Junior didn't get his Tickle Me Elmo, so they go back out and buy it. <laughs> well, you know, some of us, some of us are are smarter than that. You know, what what uh, one of the things that go that's going under the tree this year for my son is a as a personal check made out to him. And, but instead of an amount of money, it's got the name of a certain item that uh, was not available. And <laughs> I, basically, I'm telling him, yeah, I'm getting it for you for Christmas. As soon as it's available in the store, we'll run out and pick it up. Good for you. That's- I'm not going to be a sucker to that. Are you kidding? <laughs> There's plenty of other stuff for him to play with until until then. Yeah, as if he doesn't have enough stuff to play with already. Oh, my God. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> So, so then, you know, you're just kind of sitting on the sidelines. You're just going to wait and see what happens. Uh, yeah. Well, I'm reading this really cool book right now by Nassim Taleb called The Black Swan. And I've heard of it. Haven't read it yet. What, uh, what it, so far? Well, I love it. I love it because it basically says that everything about po- probability matrices, although has some truth to them, that there are outlier events that don't fall within the bell curve. And when they don't fall within the bell curve, How do you explain them? Well, in most cases, they get explained over time because they fall within the bell curve. But in its immediacy, it doesn't. So when it comes to financial markets, something radically can happen that no one really understands why it happened. Um, But in 9-11, when they talk about 9-11 is basically a black swan. And and he he says, you know, we we can now say from a narrative perspective why 9-11 happened. But do we really know? We're just we're making the story up as we go because there are certain events that would have contributed to 9/11. Um, but is there anything that we could have done to pre- protect ourselves from 9/11? Maybe, maybe we could have put locks on the doors for the pilots, uh, but no one really thought of it because it didn't seem to be that important. And well, well, you know, um, back in the 1990s, uh, Boeing actually had a model of its airliner available. Um, that they were promoting to airlines where the pilots would have their own door. So the flight deck didn't connect with the passenger cabin at all. Mm-hmm. And and they discontinued that offering because none of the airlines were taking it <clears throat> because, as you can imagine, it costs more. That's right. So, yeah, there are things that could have happened, but without believing that a situation like that was imminent or likely, you know, people didn't want to spend the money for it. Exactly. 
exactly. So anyways, he talks about this narrative effect and how we create the narrative in order to justify the event using causal narratives. And he says, sometimes you don't even understand why it happened. Like, why did JFK get shot? Well, some people could say he got shot because he pissed off the, the mafia. And others could say there was members of his own government that didn't agree with his policies. Some will say, well, it was just a nut bar called Lee Harvey Oswald that was infiltrated with the Russians. Maybe he got shot because he got shot. Maybe he just happened to be at the wrong place at the wrong time and somebody was shooting a crow. Like, you don't know what the, the narrative basically starts creating a certain incidence. It was a black swan. We couldn't have predicted it really better than what happened. And so anyways, in looking at this stuff, it's like, okay, well, for me, I had a black swan. I was kind of predicting it. But for me, my black swan was somebody burned down my restaurant. Yeah. There were events that led up to it that I create the story around. But really, the, the person that burnt down my restaurant burnt down my restaurant. Like, are they mentally deranged? Were they mad at me? Were they, were they, were they, do they just want to burn things? Like, maybe they, you know, there's video evidence to say the contrary. Maybe it was an accident, right? But all these, all these things are, they just happen. And it's not about what, like, we can't predict them. So how do we react to it when it happens? And in all that, there's an opportunity and there are challenges and you have to choose which side you're going to go down. Hmm. Well, I know that, um, you know, coming out of this thing and it was mentioned earlier today, but I think that the businesses that pull through this are going to be stronger mm -hmm. and they're going to have more market share because some of the competitors are going to be gone. And the whole idea of securing, you know, your family's future through the acquisition of a, of a small, medium sized business I don't think that's ever going to change because I don't think that big giant companies are going to be able to deliver everything that people need and want. I don't think they ever will be able to. And there's always going to be a need for or a desire to have things that small businesses are going to be the ones that are able to provide. And those needs and wants change over time, obviously, as as technology and, and <clears throat> other things come and go in society. And so I think it's interesting. I feel really bad for people who, who are going to end up in a losing position. I've, I've had a few of these people that I've talked with over the course of this past year. And the advice that I'm giving to everyone who finds themselves in one of these positions is, is when you realize that this thing is going to do you in, then, then you got to push through it with as much expediency as you can. So, so if that means, you know, like declaring bankruptcy or going through any other kind of insolvency process to end up on the other side where you can start building up again, then that's where you have to go as quickly as possible. The, in my experience, the, the real negative outcomes come from people who, <clears throat> who end up stuck treading for a long time. <clears throat> Sorry, it's not COVID, I promise. Um, who, who are stuck treading for a long time where they're not moving forward, they're not moving backwards. And, and with anything like, you know, insolvency, you know, bankruptcy proposal, all these kind of different things that can happen, there's always this tail period where you're kind of in purgatory after where you, you suffer under the fact that you went through this thing. That certain amount of time is a certain amount of time you're always going to have to go through it. So the faster you initiate, the sooner you're going to be out the other side. And, and that's, you know... It's got to do with recognizing the reality of the situation that people are in. Well, and I've seen this in my own um, personality in terms of emotion when I'm dealing with the markets. 
there's always this hope that things will turn around. There's always a hope that things will be better tomorrow. And in the restaurant business, we see that all the time. If, if January and February are tough, which are typically normal, uh, there's hope that March and March and April will start to be better. And then there's hope that the summer will really bring in the money in order to pay for the bills for the entire year. And then there's hope that, you know, you'll get your Christmas parties booked and you'll get your, you'll get your, all your, your Christmas, um, uh, revenues in to carry you through the next year. Yeah. But, but that hope doesn't always exist. And I've seen entrepreneurs in the mortgage industry and, and other, other industries that they always hope that tomorrow will be better or they're, 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 you know, they're the proverbial robbing Peter to pay Paul and, and their cash flow sucks. And they're just like, well, no, we've got enough money to survive, but they're 60 days out on their payables. And it's like, well, wait a minute, your business is terrible right now. Cause you don't have enough money to pay the bills today and create a profitable situation tomorrow. And so there's just this hope that th something's going to happen. This almost like this black swan is going to positively affect their business, but black swans are rare. Right. And they're unpredictable. So in all of this, to your point, if things are going in the wrong direction, it's okay to hope. Hope I, I believe strongly in hope, but not when it comes to my bank account. Yeah. If you're hoping for your bank account, go buy a lottery ticket. That's the best hope you'll ever get. Jordan has just uh just come into the studio. Jordan, are you ready to to make your appearance? All right, here I'm gonna add him. Um Rick and I are just talking about about the year ahead and about how unforeseen things can positively and negatively impact a business. Um, Rick, you know, to your point, I think that entrepreneurs have to be optimistic, you know, you, and, and, and this is what I find is interesting because there, there have been many times when I've made videos and written articles or, or daily news, uh, daily emails to people where I talk about the difference between entrepreneurs and investors, because I, I find that when I'm working with people that are trying to buy a business, not all of them necessarily are pure-blooded entrepreneurs. They're, they're people who want to hedge their risk by buying something that's already functioning, already profitable, et cetera. Uh -huh. um, Jordan, you, uh, you uh, were the owner of a translation business, and then you went and bought another one. Um, what, what, what label do you put on yourself? Are you more of an investor or more of an entrepreneur? <laughs> I don't know what I am. I, that's maybe the problem. Um, no, I, I, I'd say very entrepreneurial, uh, and I surround myself with, um, mentors and coaches that, uh, point out the flaws in my optimistic rose, you know, colored glasses for the future. Uh, and I think Rick, I got to hear you say you can't you know, take hope to the bank or something along those lines. <laughs> you can't cash that check. Um, so I, I do have some really good advisors around me that uh, really challenge me to think about worst case and can you live with it? And so from that sense, uh, I think of my investor uh, muscle has been, I've been working that out, especially as I look at acquisitions. Uh, it's like, what's worst case and, and how can I navigate that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, that's awesome. Um, Tell us about uh, what's been going on with you over the last year. I mean, you you were looking at, you did one successful acquisition. You were looking at another one over the past year. Uh, how was your business affected by the the lockdowns and, and, and everything to do with the pandemic? Right. This year has three chapters, uh, at least for our industry. 
it's a down year like anybody unless you're manufacturing toilet paper. Uh, but uh, the Q1 was best quarter ever in company history for the company I have and the, the newly acquired company Q4 2019. And we thought this was going to be a banner year. Uh, and contrary, uh, it's been the worst case forecast that I ran when I was thinking of buying this company. It's like, what does it, what does it look like in that scenario? And lo and behold, it's been a reality, but I already modeled it. So um, you were already ready for it if it were to happen. Yeah. 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 And, uh, I forget what you asked me, but how's this year been with with acquisition along those lines? Well, how did the year go with you know you reacting to the the pandemic and the rule changes mm. and lockdowns and all that kind of stuff? Mm, yeah, keyword reacting. Uh, just nobody was ready for this. This was a nobody's business plan or even contingency plan, really. Uh, so best quarter ever, Q one. Uh, the sky is falling. Holy crap. How do we navigate this? Uh, let's cut, 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 you know, pull back, uh, renegotiate all of our contracts and expenses and office leases um, and do it aggressively. You know, cut once and cut aggressive. Uh, and the, the next three months was kind of wait and see, recast the year even worse than my worst case forecast and make plans for that. Um, but then we flipped, uh, turned a corner in Q3. I think we kind of stabilized, our industry did. We provide language services. So we went from uh, translating the you know, public health announcements uh, before COVID to COVID uh, public safety notices. So right. uh, in that sense, our industry was quite resilient. We're still down and it's the worst case scenario, but we're, we're flipping to a growth mode from a crisis mode uh, now at the end of this year. And so, um, you know, you, you talk about public health notices, a good number of your clients are government agencies, right? Uh, but even with that kind of client base, you still suffered a downturn. Yeah, the, the world shut down. <laughs> People weren't going outside. Uh, unprecedented now back in i remember talking with you back in january because you had just you were traveling often to the seattle area and you had just come back from a vacation in northern italy and then you worried oh my god did i did i have that did you ever find out if you did or not yeah yeah i did <laughs> the uh so the story goes uh we have an office north of seattle and uh I was traveling there in January. By February, I was really sick, really, really sick. Um, and thought I had recovered. So I went to Rome, Italy, <laughs> beginning of March, and then had kind of a relapse when I came back. Turned into, they treated me for pneumonia in early March. And then I recovered in March. So it was like four to six weeks of this, like the worst I've ever been sick. Uh, and I thought it was just because I was going hard. We had acquired the company and I was traveling and all the newness of, of expanding our business. Uh, but at that time, they didn't have these COVID tests. So I had to wait, I think, another two months before I could get an antibody test. And that confirmed that, that I had had it. And uh, I spoke so with my physician. It was, it was COVID that you had, had yeah. contracted. Wow. Yeah. 
in that time, I talked to the physician too that treated me for pneumonia. He said, oh my gosh, you all the symptoms, everything. I wish I could have tested you then. They just, they weren't available. Wow. And well, I'm glad that you recovered well, obviously. Yeah. 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 Or it's, I, I don't know if that they've conclusively said you can't get it again. Um, like if you developed immunity, but so far, you know, we're healthy and well over here. Good, good. And so you had, you, I mean, your plan is to continue to expand. You're, you're in the business buyer adventure uh, program. Um, your plan is to acquire and expand. You were working on another deal this year. What has this put any kind of change into your plans or you still full steam ahead to try to find new targets as you move forward? Um, so it's still the entrepreneur of me is still moving forward and uh, talking to prospective opportunities and um, taking into account, you know, we're in an, in an interesting time, probably one of the worst economic times that I've seen in my lifetime. Um, you know, it's going to be worse than 2008, 2009. Um, unfortunately, uh, but uh, yeah, it's still going forward. You just, you got to still do the dating. It really is on the small business front. Uh, it's like adopting a child more so than it is buying a house. And so if, if anybody's looking to retire or exit, especially after this year, uh, I will definitely talk to them and invest that time with them. Um, and I have a, a pretty tight process now, but mm. uh, the part that you can't, answer from the numbers is the chemistry of the, the, the seller and their culture, their people. And I look for really good client accounts. So uh, that's what I'm looking for. We're trying to grow and add new accounts and acquisition is a good way to do it in our industry. So we'll continue looking for good, good fit acquisitions uh, going forward, even though there's new uncertainty in, in the new post COVID economy. Mm. Well, and, and do you think that what has happened this year is going to make some of these sellers who've decided to exit, is going to make things easier or harder for you as far as, you know, um, showing them what the deal needs to look like? Because obviously if, if, a, if a business is having a downturn, it's going to be harder to, to get a bank on board or anything like that. Yeah, I, I'm not a Sam Zell. The, they call him the grave dancer where he, he waits till things, you know, are, are kaput and then uh, comes along um, for these deals. Uh, it's their retirement. The sellers are wanting to get as much squeeze from it. Um, mm -hmm. And there is a calibration of reality and what you can expect to get from your business. Um, if people want more from, you know, squeeze from that, uh, generally taking the terms and adjusting them over a longer period of time where we kind of share in some of the risk or uh, the seller becoming more of a bank and having that component. Those are just different terms that we could do to help get them more squeeze. But if their expectation not from the get-go on the price is just so you know, out of touch, um, you know, I still talk to them and try and share my experience. Here's what I've seen them transact at and uh, not be the, the bad guy that says, you know, 
heck no, this is what it is and <laughs> go along the way. I, it just, uh, I think David, you've coached me on this too. It, it's like, we'll see you later after you've talked to two or three other uh, people and they've beat you down on what realities that the market will pay. And then maybe they remember us. We had this great chat over coffee and now over Zoom. And uh, I liked this guy and I'm now I'm willing to do a deal that's closer to reality. Well, it's, you know, the, the, the trouble with a take it or leave it, you know, tough sort of negotiation angle is that it's not like buying some kind of object where you make a transaction and you walk away with the object. When you buy a business, you need the investment and the ongoing um, uh, engagement of the seller because they have to help you transition that business over. And so if you need their help after the transaction, then they need to be willing to do that. Uh, earlier today, we had Adam Purcell on and he was talking about how he sold his business and he's still meeting with the buyer um, mm -hmm. almost weekly talking with them about their growth plans and everything and giving his feedback cool. based on mm -hmm. when he was the operator of the business. And so mm -hmm. that clearly is an example of a strong relationship. That's what, mm -hmm. that's what a buyer wants to be buying into when they acquire something that's already going. The fact mm -hmm. that someone is around who knows what it's like and who can provide some insight into things that might come up because mm -hmm. of their experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, that's that's great, Jordan. Thank you, thank you for sharing that with us. Um, and what about for Christmas? You guys are you know, you're in California, so you guys are probably just sticking close to home, are you? Yeah, we are. Um, no skiing, no snow, um, just some beach walks. Uh, I don't have any children, so it's just uh, the dog and my wife and I. And uh, we're she has her business. She's a doctor and has a clinic. So the, the companies and, and businesses are kind of like our children right now, um, for better or for worse. Somebody said, don't love something that is inanimate because it can't love you back. Uh, so <laughs> so I don't know if I should love the, the business or the company as a child, but. It, it must be stressful uh, for her, obviously. She's just seeing patients all the time, uh, you know, with the, the, the worry about uh, contracting this thing. Did she go through it with you at the same time you had it? No, actually she never got it. And uh, it's, I mean, she took a lot of precautions. I was sleeping on the couch and uh, hand sanitizer, you know, just really separate bathrooms. Um, but yeah, as a, as a medical practitioner, she takes a lot of precautions. She is seeing more of the general public. So, uh, we're not really seeing anybody just to space, space everything out. We'll see you next yeah. year. Yeah. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Makes hey, a lot of sense. I want to, I want to chime in. Is that okay, Dave? Yeah, sure. Go ahead. Jordan, I've, I've got a, I've got a thought about this. I can't, you shouldn't love a business because it's an inanimate object and it can't love you mm -hmm. back. Yeah. And as you said, I was like, well, that's interesting. I never really thought about that. I mean, obviously I can't love this Sharpie because it is just a Sharpie and it, it's a tool that I use. Mm -hmm. Um, and a business to some extent, if it's an incorporated business, it is an inanimate object. But really, when you think about the definition of the business, isn't it just a bunch of buyers and sellers and things that are half services that are going out and about? And, and I think if I think about that from a marketing perspective, 
if you're trying to find new leads or new opportunities, you're trying to create connections. And I think you're very good at that based on what you've told me about some of your, um, some of your uh, situations where you're buying in. And so if you're looking at the connection, well, now you're dealing with people and love is a part of connection and part of passion and part of people. So I think it's very, very safe to say you, if you love your business, that means you're passionate about it because those connections with your customers and if you have employees, those people that are working for you are really important because they will love you back. Hmm. Business is done amongst people. It's true. I yeah. I do I do love the fine line sharpies. <laughs> I, I do like a good sharpie too. Uh, <laughs> but interesting thought, Rick. I, I think um, there's a lot of as a service business, we're only as good as the people doing the work. Mm-hmm. And uh, this year, uh, I don't you know I don't love the doing of the work. Um, I love what the company provides, the outcomes that, you know, I get to be an employer and create a great place for people. And, you know, we navigated the storm together and there's a job on the other side. And, uh, you know, in fact, you know, I bought language network for my parents and allowed them to exit and that I get to carry on their legacy. So, uh, I'm enjoying all the benefits and outcomes that business provides. Uh, and I get to meet great people, like you were saying, that just, especially prospective sellers, um, getting to learn their story and just being curious about it. Uh, uh, especially at this level, the, do- the the investor side, right? You know, all the, the zeros and ones and commas and everything needs to, to balance and make sense there. But uh, the human side, I, I think there could definitely be some love. And so I, I agree with you in that aspect. I've always thought of uh, businesses and entrepreneurship as a creative endeavor, like a orchestra playing a piece of music or like a, a ballet performance, something like that, where it, you, you are creating a format for these people to be doing stuff with each other um, in order to have a certain outcome. And, you know, to me, the business is a system about how all these different the the people, the place, and the capital interact with each other to create that cash flow. Um, you know, and so if the if the ballet director is looking for the standing ovation, you know, the entrepreneur is looking for the positive cash flow as the as the net result of everything working together properly. And when <clears throat> we have hiccups and problems in the business that create failures along the way, then we may not get that positive cash flow. Just like if a ballerina you know, trips on stage, you know, and, and the performance is not what it's supposed to be, they might get, not get that standing ovation. I've always seen that analogy um, in looking at business because, and, and this, and then it relates so well to the whole idea of, of buying a business because then you don't have to start with a blank piece of paper like someone might, if they were creating a whole new ballet from scratch, you know, you, you know, they perform the nutcracker. I'm sure at, in normal years at thousands of places around the world, you know, students all over the place are doing this. It's a regular Christmas thing. It's easy because you can just take it and you already know what the different roles are versus starting uh, something with a blank sheet of paper. Yeah. So uh, we're at the end. Incredibly. It's been two and a half hours. 
Uh, I want to thank you guys for, for joining me here uh, today. It's been a lot of fun. I want to remind everyone who's been watching, if you enjoyed it, hit the thumbs up button. It really helps with the YouTube algorithm. Uh, I'd love to hear from you and wish you a Merry Christmas. If anyone wants to wish me a Merry Christmas, just do it down in the comments because that also helps with the YouTube algorithm. Um, and, um, and for those people who have just started watching the channel over the last year, I'll remind people again, um, there's playlists where you can consume all the older content in a, in a, in a f format that's uh, streamlined according to topic, um, which could be helpful for a lot of you guys. And if you're interested in hearing conversations, real conversations about people trying to buy, sell, or better manage a business, the holiday chat recordings come out starting tomorrow. And in order to receive them, you have to be on the email list. So just head on over to davidcbarnettlist.com to sign up for that. Or uh, just go to the blog site, davidcbarnett.com. On the left-hand side is a place to sign up for the email list. And um, guys, thanks so much. A Merry Christmas, and I hope Santa Claus finds you sometime later tonight and that uh, you know he washes and probably properly sanitizes before he enters your homes. Perfect, Dave. I don't know if I should leave you with the last word or if I can say something before I take it. Yeah, off. absolutely. What, what would you like to say? Well, for your for your viewers, uh, one of the things that I tell some people who are thinking about starting businesses, the best time to start a business was yesterday. The second best time is today, and the third best time is tomorrow. So never forget that. Very yeah. good, wise words. May uh, I add a, a an outro comment? Yeah. Uh, so I will second that that uh, it's a it can be a lonely journey and. Uh, if you have an entrepreneurial streak, uh, growth through acquisition uh, is a good way to do it. And buying a company and carrying on the legacy. Uh, but get yourself a coach. Get yourself a, a team around you. Um, you know, I've worked with David for almost three years, two and a half years. It's been uh, a while, what, yeah. Yeah. And, and I will continue to. Uh, I just wouldn't be here without uh, that mentorship and support so my my second uh to 2021 growth and being an entrepreneur is uh get after it but also get uh, some good coaching and, and mentorship yeah if if anyone's watching and they're and they're thinking that buying a business might be for them in 2021 if you haven't already go over to businessbuyeradvantage.com that's where the process is laid out but the initial online course uh it's up it's like over 12 hours of material now it it, it it takes you through the whole process and then there's additional modules I've added over the course of time. And I've talked about it ad infinitum across different YouTube channels, but, but there is a special, there's some bonuses in there until tomorrow, Christmas day. So if you were on the fence out there, um, it makes sense to move forward today. One of the bonuses is a private Q and a with me and the other people who signed up in December, we're going to be doing that on Monday. And so you need to buy it by tomorrow if you want to get that extra bonus. And then people who do the course, there are people who've done the course who've gone out and they bought a business and then other people want a little more help on an ongoing basis uh, like Jordan and they'll join the Business Buyer Adventure uh, group coaching program. We get together three times a month. We share stuff in a Facebook group. We have guest speakers that come in in the form of expert calls um, and it really provides that ongoing push to go out and do the work because finding a, a good business to buy means oftentimes finding it before those people get out in front of a bunch of other buyers. 
And I know Jordan, that's something that you do a lot of work with. Um, and it's something we talk about in the group and the, the people who have the greatest degree of success are the ones that get that deal flow going. And it amazes me, you know, earlier this year, Peter was another guy in the group who did a deal and he bought a business that would never have been on his radar, except it appeared after he started to do the work of doing the networking and reaching out to businesses. And he got referred to the business that he ended up buying as a person who could be a good manager. They were looking for a manager. They weren't looking to sell. And when Peter ended up meeting with them and talking with them, he said, you know, I don't think I'd want to be your manager, but would you look at selling? And they ended up at the end of the day doing a deal. And it was all, you know, uh, a fruit eventually that came from that exercise of doing the work to find a business that fit a certain criteria. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's certainly not easy um, and, uh, my, my goal is just to help people along to make sure that they're doing the right things and they avoid, avoid traps. Awesome. Well, Merry Christmas guys. Merry and, Christmas. Uh, and thanks for joining. And thanks to all the guests that were on earlier today. And I hope everyone that's watching live or watching during replay, replay had a good time. Please hit like, and, uh, and we'll see you, uh, Dave just froze. It's a good way, a good way to go out. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> we made it to two and a half hours. So yeah, and he was at the end. He was saying his, his closing comments. <laughs> mm -hmm. I, I guess know. we have we have the last word. Go for it, Jordan. Thank you, everybody, and have a Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. we got a lot of work to do, so rest up. <laughs> Hi, Rick. Bye. Bye.